Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2 2 pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. How is everybody doing on a Wednesday? That's right, it is A's Cast Live till 7 o'clock. And boy, do we have a great show for you lined up. Ray Fossey will be here at 4.30. At 5.30, the pitching ninja, Rob Friedman, who's fascinating. You got all of these players, and I'm talking major league, minor league, college, high school, who are going to this guy and trying to figure out how to make themselves better. It's always great to have the pitching ninja, one of the great handles of all time at 5.30. We've got our ace historian. He's a TV sports producer. He is also an MLB official scorer, but we call him our ace historian. David Feldman will be here at 6 o'clock, and then we're going to be covering the Atlanta Braves today. And if we're going to talk about the Atlanta Braves, we got to go to our old friend, Ron Washington. Wash will be here at 6.30. So it's Fossey at 4.30, Pitching Ninja at 5.30, Feldman at 6, Ron Washington at 6.30. Commander Cody, how are you on a Wednesday? It's not just any Wednesday. It's St. Patrick's Day Wednesday. Uh, although that not, is correct. Although I'm not Irish, so I don't – I mean, it's not as special to me as it is for a lot of people, but uh, it's just another Wednesday for me. And I, I saw an interesting tagline on Twitter as I'm reading about uh, Ramon Laureano and Buddy Reed, which we'll get to. Uh, this is from Chandler Rome, who covers the Astros. The Astros are happy that in-game video will return to the dugout in 2021. No, really. I, I would never think that the team that was in trouble with video would be happy that it's coming back. Yeah. Well, it is St. Patrick's Day. Aaron Gobra to all my fellow Irishmen out there, as I got a little Irish in me. Uh, Dave Feldman today, is he's got a fascinating topic. It's going to be – it's about brothers who played for the A's and who was the worst brother, <laughs> essentially. And I'm thinking – how many brothers played for the A's? I mean, I can think of Conseco. I can think of Giambi. And I kind of run out after that. So you really tell me there's been 10 sets of brothers that played for the Oakland A's? I, 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 I got the top of my head. I can think of two. And that's it. Uh, it it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because it, either he's going to go with guys that played for the A's, both played for the A's, or a guy that played for the A's who wasn't as good as his brother played for another team. So I'm really curious to see which way he goes with this coming up at 6 o'clock because he ran this by me earlier this week, and I was like, actually, I love this idea. Let's do this one because I shared one with him last week about multiple stints in Oakland where we talked about Jed Lowry and 
and uh, Ricky being you know three times for Jed, four for Ricky. So I want to see what he, uh, how this list works for the top ten uh, player who wasn't as good as their brother. How that goes? Uh, I could go Mark McGuire, Dan McGuire. If you remember Dan McGuire, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks and was out of San Diego State. Obviously, McGuire, Mark McGuire was better than him. But we'll just have to wait and see. That will be at 6 o'clock, and that will be a lot of fun. Well, this is the part of spring training that, you know, you get good news and you get bad news. Like, good news, A.J. Puck was on the mound. Good news, Trevor Rosenthal was on the mound. Bad news, Ramon Laureano, Buddy Reed both had MRIs. Let's hear from Bob Melvin in the pregame talking about Buddy Reed and Ramon Laureano, his center fielder. He had an MRI yesterday, and we will have the results at some point in time when uh, Dr. Workman looks at him this morning. Buddy Reed also has a right quad strain. He had an MRI yesterday as well. So we'll get the results of those both a little later this morning. That's not what you like to hear. But it's just inevitable. Everybody's going to deal with it. Everybody's going to have some nicks and some bruises and uh, have some issues in spring training. That's just the way it goes. I have to say this. Really excited about Jed Lowry. Really, really excited. Let's, it's Jed Lowry at the plate and Madison Bumgarner on the mound. The 1-0 to Lowry. He swings and drives it to left. Going back, Peralta at the track, looking up, and it's gone. Jed Lowry's back. A solo homer to left. Batting right-handed, too. It's a homer off Bumgarner. What year is it? Lowry deep to left, and it's 6-1 to one in the fourth. I mean, seriously. If Jed Lowry can get back to being Jed Lowry, how about two doubles against Kansas City? Outfield toward right. Miner kicks and throws the 2-1 pitch, and Jed hits one to left field, hits it well. Back on his starling at the track, right to the wall, and it's off the wall. It's in play, and Jed's going to cruise into second with a double, and he almost got that one out. The one hit towards center. Fighting the sky, Michael A. Taylor using this hand, then the glove, and he finally lost it in the high sky, and Lowry's gonna continue on to second and slide in safely. And there was trouble from the get-go, and Whit Merrifield got there late to help him from right, too late, and lands between them for a gift sun double. Welcome to the Cactus League. I'll take it. Because what Jed could mean to this team, you know, the last time we saw him, 17 and 18, he hit 49 doubles in A's record and then followed that up the next year with my screen just refreshed. He followed it up the next year with 37 doubles, 23 homers, 99 RBIs, and was an all-star. He's the type of guy that this team needs. I know everybody liked Tommy Listella. I like Tommy Listella. But Tommy was going to get paid. Good for him. But what this offense has been missing, Tommy LaStella puts the ball in play. That's great. Jed Lowry puts the ball in play, but Jed Lowry hits extra base hits. 
I mean, if you can put the time machine on and get him back to being where Bob Melvin every day said, you're hitting third for us. Every day. Normally, a Bob, you know, Bob Melvin, the front office, the lineup switching all around. But when Jed was here, he was hitting third every day. You knew who was hitting third. And if he's back to that guy for the price, let's forget about the money. Money is irrelevant. If he gets to be back to being the way Jed has been in the past in Oakland, man, what an upgrade that is. Tommy puts the ball in play. That's great. He doesn't drive the baseball and he doesn't hit the baseball in the ballpark. And he's not a big, you know, he's not a big RBI guy. So that has been like the question. It's like, what are you going to get out of Jed? Remember when we had Bob Melvin on? Bob Melvin was like, hey, we want to get him out there and see what he can do. And right now, he's showing us, you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood, whatever, that he's healthy. He told us on this program when he signed with the A's that for the first time in a long time, he feels like himself. And that's just music to my ears. Jed Lowry could be such a game changer inside this lineup. It excites me. It really, really does. Because, you know, let's face it. Last year, we didn't see a whole lot of contact. Great article, by the way. And we're going to get Tom Verducci on Friday. Great article. And he's talking about one play. Said over the final 26 minutes, viewers saw only two balls put into play. Over the three hours and 28 minutes it took to play an eight and a half inning game. They saw 32 balls in play or one every six and a half minutes. They saw more pitchers than hits. They saw 27 batters strike out or 40% of all plate appearances. And the title is MLB can't wait any longer to fix its pace of play crisis. And by the way, I couldn't agree more. God bless him. I cannot wait to have Tom Verducci, long-time Sports Illustrated columnist. You also see him on MLB Network, one of the brightest guys in the game. And I know I've, I, I, I've had people take issue with this, but it is a problem. And I'm, I, I'm glad everybody's thinking about how, and, and, and to all the get-off-my-lawn people who go, I don't care how long the game is, you're wrong. Longer baseball, baseball was not meant to be four hours or three and a half hours. Just wasn't. That's why games years ago were like two hours. You, how, how do you grow your game when everybody's going to sleep and you're not even done? How are you growing your game? How are you growing your game when people on the East Coast can't stay up and watch your, your teams play? How's that growing your game? I mean, there's not many people out there who can really say, I don't care how long it is. That, that is such a, a, a small minority in baseball fans. People got jobs. People got school. People got to get up the next day. 
How, how are you going to stay at the ballpark till 1030 at night and you don't get home till after 11 by the time you get to say, and then you got to get up at early in the morning to, to do your job? There's some diehards who don't care. That's fine. You're wrong. It's not good for the game. And finally, everybody is agreeing on it. Except the get off my lawn people. But everybody's agreeing. Because they know. You can look at the ratings. You can look at where the ratings are at 7 o'clock when the game starts and where the ratings are at 10.30 at night. You can see it in television. You can see it in radio. Let me tell you something. The ratings start to tank the later the game gets. Just a reality. You may want to fight it, but let me tell you, and that's the whole thing about extra innings. You want to talk extra innings? Just look around the ballpark. Look how many people have left. I don't even need to get into television and radio ratings once we get into the 13th, 14th. Nobody's there. I like long extra inning games. Well, you may, but the majority doesn't. The minority may like it. The majority doesn't. That's a problem. So bravo, Tom Ferducci, for bringing this up. Yes, it is a crisis. I mean, our game's based off ratings. Our game's based off attendance. It's based off television and radio. And if you're telling me it's getting, it's not getting better, then something's got to change. And the commissioner knows it. And all these old schoolers, and even there's young people, you know, there's some of our younger fan base. I, I don't, don't change the game. You're crazy, man. You're crazy. Has anybody been following the ratings, by the way? How the Golden Globes tanked? They went from like 18 point something million last year to only six point something this year. You lost more than half your audience. The Grammys were just down like 35 or 36 percent. For the first time in our lifetime, the Super Bowl went down in ratings. Man, th- th- there's a crisis out there, folks. This is what, we're not built off TikTok. We're not built off Facebook. We're not built off Instagram. We're not built off YouTube. They got to figure out how to get more people back in and making it cool again and making it fun. That's the reality. And I'm glad people are talking about it. I'm glad people are thinking about it. I'm glad they're trying stuff in the minor leagues. Let's let, let, let's spice some things up here. No change ever is not good. Every company changes. What company doesn't change? Use your data. You got all this data. Use it. Figure out. Figure out how to make your game more enticing for young kids, for young adults. I'm not saying social media platforms are not good for the game. And, yes, maybe we will one day see that you're watching your team on YouTube for the majority of the time. I mean, the amount of numbers you can get Our buddy Mark Langston, the great San Jose State Spartan and Angels broadcaster, told us they had a game on YouTube, and and with uh, Shohei Otani pitching, they had millions of people watching around the world. Millions. Yeah, so that may be the future, but as of right now, it's not. And you got to figure out how people are going to click that remote, and they're going to tune into your games, and hopefully with the A's, we're going to be good again, and that will happen. 
But the problem is, and people like Commander Cody, they've dumped cable, and it's it's making it harder to figure out how how, how where is your audience? How is your audience doing? Look at us. We're we're streaming right now. We're not on a radio station. I mean, we know this is the future when you're talking more about audio than visual. But I and I know Cody, you 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 you're 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 on board. Like this sport needs to spice some things up. It's funny you mention that because yesterday I did a panel at my college with Jack Zarenzik, the former Mariners GM, and he used to work for the Pirates, and he's now fully retired and out of baseball. And they asked us, like, you know, what do you guys think of the pace of play rules and all the stuff they're trying to do? And I literally laid out my case and how I think that baseball needs to evolve and change, and I laid out how, you know, I don't want to see the shift gone, but I understand where people have that argument where they want to get rid of it because they want to see more action, which I completely understand. And I was waiting for Jack Zarenzik, who is an old-school guy who's been working in the game for almost six decades, to be like, look, I'm an old-school guy. I want the game to say how it is. He literally said, when I was working in baseball, I never wanted anything to change. But now that I'm out of the game, he goes, I, I wish the games were faster now. And they didn't take three hours. The games last year, in 2020, no fans. TV was a little different. There was, you know, We weren't seeing as much probably advertising and everything. The games still took three hours and seven minutes with literally no fans there. And it was just fake crowd noise and cardboard cutouts. And it still took longer last year than it did the year before. The use of pitchers is going gonna, is gonna to keep going up into this year, and we know that. And that's going to increase the how long games go. But the, they have to take a step forward in changing it. And you mentioned how I use streaming TV, and that's true. I use Sling, but Sling's dropping some stuff. So I'm actually going to switch, I think, to YouTube TV next just because I think that it will have more accessibility for me for what I want to do. But a lot of people are going that way. You're trying to capture an audience of millennials and also Gen Z who literally live off phones and tablets and computers, and that's where you get all their attention spans. If you can't capture them for the first 20 seconds, you're, you're gone. Like, they're gone. And that's what baseball has a problem with doing, and they're, and they're going to try to fix these problems. And Tom Verducci lays a lot of that out. Like, we saw it. He put in the article that it was the, that game six you're talking about in the World Series between the Rays and Dodgers was the least watched game six of all time in World Series history. That goes. That's the same for games one through five. Now, I think the Rays being in it has a little bit to do with it because they're a smaller market, but it was also the least watched clincher of all time too. So that's a very telling sign. The pe- the ratings when we saw baseball come back were doing very well, but then once you saw it was Dodgers Rays, I, I just don't think that got people as excited if it was going to be Dodgers Astros or Dodgers uh, Yankees uh, in the World Series last year. I was I was very surprised about ratings all around the entertainment business. You know, you would have thought that everybody's been jonesing for some type of entertainment. Well, the entertainment came back. Problem is the fans didn't. And there were, I mean, I think it was a modern, I mean, you had LeBron James and the Lakers in the finals. And they were like the worst ratings the NBA has had for the finals in a long, long time. I mean, you got to go back to when the finals were tape delayed. I don't think a lot of people remember that, but yeah, they used to have the nightly news was more important than the NBA finals. And then they'd play the game and then tape delay it after the news. I just think of the OJ car chase with the Knicks and was it Knicks and Rockets in the, in the NBA finals where they had a, so the game was on tape delay, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, this is it, 
remember we were all talking about, I just can't wait to watch a game. I just can't wait to watch. And you know who really came out first and benefited the most? Golf. When baseball was bickering over money, golf started playing. And people start, you know, it was something to watch. And golf actually has done well. You know, golf used to have, you know, its niche audience. But more people started watching it because they were the first ones to come out. It was something to watch. But then I thought we were all going to have records, right? Everybody's at home. Everybody can't wait. And it just didn't happen. Time to wake up and smell the coffee, as they say. To make the game better. And if it's been, like, I've always been a, you know what, beat the shift, right? George Brett said, if you shifted against me, I'd hit 600. Bob Melvin said, if you shifted against Ichiro, he did 800. So if, if, if you keep it or you ban it, I mean, either way, I mean, whatever makes the game better. And let's see how the dead and ball changes things. Are there going to be, because right now, so my, my brother reached out to his buddy, who works for the Padres. My brother was in town for a couple of days for my birthday. And uh, my my brother knows somebody who's in the front office for the Padres. And he asked, are, what balls are they using? And I guess down at spring training right now, they are using the dead and balls. Now, that's not going to really matter down in Arizona. Ball is still going to fly. But what happens when you come back to Oakland? What happens when you come back to San Francisco? Guys are hitting fly balls. Are we going to see a lot of those fly balls being outs at the warning track now versus being out with the Super Bowl? I mean, how's that going to change? I mean, changing equipment can change styles. Guys are still going to get up there and throw it as hard as they can. But if you're just flying out and the ball's not going deep anymore, will that promote more contact? As the Tom Verducci article says, you had two balls put in play in 26 minutes. Is that not crazy? Two balls put in play in nearly a half hour. How, what's the action? What are you watching? Just guys striking out? I mean, at some point, how entertaining is just watching people strike out? Well, the number that Tom put in there, too, he said players put the ball in play on only 15.8% of pitches, down from 18.3% only 10 years ago. And because the goal of pitching has become avoidance of contact, not just getting outs, a passive-aggressive game with more breaking pitches, there are 14 more pitches in a nine-inning game than there were a decade ago. Wow. Well, you know a guy who played in a lot of two-hour games? That'd be the great Ray Fossey. It's a Wednesday. Fossey joins us for a half hour next, right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to Ace Cast Live. Great news, Ray Fossey. You can get into the chicken pie shop of Walnut Creek and eat indoors now. <laughs> Did you do that on your birthday? <laughs> no, I, I didn't make that happen, but uh, Contra Costa County made it happen. So good news. We can finally eat inside. Well, happy belated birthday. I didn't uh, I, I saw that everybody was congratulating you on uh, living for another year. 
And I wanted to be part of that and say the same thing. So happy belated birthday. What is on Monday? Uh, yeah, it was on Monday. And, Foss, I can't believe it. This is the, my last year before I'm 50. I'm <laughs> like, wow. I wish I could say the same thing. But I'm, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to be where I am. And, uh, you know, I, I feel in if there's a little bit of an echo, Kevin Kern, our great engineer down in the Valley, closed all the windows so uh there's there's not much of an ambiance and i don't want to mess around with the windows they may be locked or i may hurt myself opening them i don't know pretty pretty heavy windows but great to talk to you again and uh cody how you doing i'm good ray i'm only uh 17 short years away from being 50 so i got plenty of time to look forward to my last year (laughs) before i'm 50 that's why you're talking about all those gen c's and ninjas and all those other things and the age groups that uh I know I don't know much about the county's getting there probably, but you're that age category when you've got all those uh, various uh, information as far as the various ages. But Tony, I feel like you because when you were at the Coliseum and you do the post game show and you look out on the great Coliseum field and Clay Wood would be out working on the field, getting it ready. Well, Chad Huss down here is doing the same thing, getting it ready for Friday's game against the Cubs. The sprinklers are on the field. It's a beautiful day in the Valley. Finally, and let's hope for the remainder of spring training, it remains the same because it's been cold, it's been rainy, and snowing. So uh, just, just not what you expect for spring training, but it, it's a lot better today. A's were victorious over the Kansas City Royals, and uh, another good day for the green and gold, except for the injuries that have occurred. But again, as we talked today on the broadcast, that if injuries are going to happen, you hope they happen in spring training or earlier in the season. And assuming there's a full season, the A's are what we expect playing in October. You want to have players healthy for October. And if it means there's some makes and pains and injuries that occur now, get through them and uh, get into postseason, stay healthy, and take it all to the house. I will never forget, and I don't, I don't remember what year it is. So I'm doing the show after the game uh, in, in, at Phoenix Muni, our old ballpark. Mm-hmm. And the storm came right over the ballpark and then went, I just, it it went right center field and kept going and it snowed. And I'm like, I'm in Arizona and it's snowing. And it was the first time it had snowed in Arizona in like 30 something years. And I remember we got done with the show. We went to the restaurant and the news is on and they're showing these pileups on the freeway because obviously (laughs) people in Arizona don't know how to don't know. They don't know how to drive in snow. You know, it's funny that you say that because it, we it, actually there was a snowstorm here, I think right prior to spring training and our grandsons, Matthew and, and Joseph, put on their snow gear and they were out making snowballs and, and snowmen. And I said to our daughter, Nika, says, what are they doing? Well, first of all, they got out of their, their Bermudas because in Arizona, it's kind of year round, wear the short pants and that's it. So I looked at them, I said, something looks different. And it was the fact they had long pants on, but they were in their snow gear and um, ready to go skiing. But by the time they even did their little snow thing, the snow was melted. That's how quickly it goes. But they did rain badly in Arizona. They say they're in a 30-year drought. But as I look out over the field now, whatever water they're using here, unless it's reclaimed, they're using a lot to keep this grass nice and green. So, Ray, when you were playing in the 70s, what was the average time of games back then? Well, 
Well, Tommy, you know, the, the thing about it, I know there's been conversation about the, the length of games and pace of games, and, and I can understand the pace. And, and what you were talking about with Tom Verducci's article coming out with uh, two balls put in play in the last 26 minutes, the one thing I don't think people understand, that during the regular season, 162 games, games are played rather quickly. But you get in the postseason – you, you think about a five-game series, in the case of the White Sox and A's, a three-game series, then you go five, then you go seven, then you go seven. I think there's so much emphasis put on not just every bat, every pitch that is thrown. Time is taken a lot longer because it, it, it's so calculated as to how they're going to get guys out. Now, I know it doesn't make it good. Uh, you know, when, when Charlie Finley, I think, was the first to start having night games in World Series, which for ratings, they were a lot better. But the problem now, let, let's say a World Series game, it starts at, what, 8.20 East Coast time. So if your kids are going to bed or you're getting up to go er, uh, to work, it's, most people we hope are, you know, by the time the game is over, you're talking at 1 or 2 in the morning on the East Coast. Now, for us on the West Coast, it's not a problem. But I, I think that's where it turns out to be a slower-paced game. Plus, realize that in between innings, there's longer commercial breaks. Because it's network. They don't pay a ton of money for October baseball postseason without having the commercial breaks in between each half inning. And I think there was an all-star game. They talked about um, the game being whatever it was. But, but at the time, there were three minutes be, for each half inning for commercial. So that's six minutes a game, or an inning. That's 54 minutes of commercial br uh, breaks. So if you play the game in a relatively quick, let's say you play a two-hour game, you're still looking at time of game over three or close to three hours. And beyond that, if you get into postseason, which, you know, all the games seem to be longer. So I can understand what is going on. I can understand with the length of games. But I still think there are reasons other than the pace. And I think the pace is slowed down simply because, you know, like game six, that was an elimination game for the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, Blake Snell could have made it a lot quicker if he had not been taken out as he was, and, and Kevin Cash is probably still living with that now that Snell is with the San Diego Padres. But I, I still think that just because it's postseason that things do change. Now, when I played the postseason and we had them in the 70s, it was different because we went from winning our division, uh, playing somebody who happened to be the Orioles, played them in, in a five-game series, and you go to the World Series, and the World Series and baseball is over by October the 15th. And when you play quick games because the pitchers threw strikes, it was a four-man rotation. And we've talked about before with the A's using only five pitchers in the 74 World Series, having only nine on the staff. Well, you, you think about the, the length of time that a starter is going to be in the game. And I think if you can eliminate the pitching changes, and that's why I think they went to the three-batter rule, so you try to eliminate some of the pitching changes that were made, lefty-righty, righty-left, you know, all those things you know, uh, situational type pitching and hitting, you know, that kind of changed a little bit with the three batter rule, but, but that in itself. And we were talking to Jake Dietmick today that you come in and get the final out of an inning, that's considered your three batters because the inning is over. And if you come in to start an inning, you have to pitch the three batters minimum. And then, you know, it, it eliminates the pitching changes. But, you know, I, I still think counting, it, it's a great game. And yes, the pace of game is, is something that probably needs to pick up because of the fans. But, you know, if let's say they went back to all-day baseball for postseason, I think the ratings would be off the charts. I think 
people would, would be staying at home, watching them streaming, as you talked about, and, and doing different things to watch a game because they know it's not going to be midnight to 2 o'clock in the morning when the game is over and they have to get up and go to work, or in the case of kids, they have to go to school. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my kids are my, – my kids don't stay up till 1030. There's no way. No. Like they, and they, most they, kids don't. Yeah. And that's, and that's the future of this game, too, Tan, as you well know. That the future of this game, you know, the kids are playing little league baseball and, 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 and amateur baseball in high school and college and dreaming of playing in the big leagues. And then all of a sudden, you know, they say, well, we got to go to school and get our education, which I think they should. And they're not going to stay up and watch these games that are taking as long as they are. So I, I think there are a number of reasons, but they need to do something. And I just don't believe that no matter what is said and done, that it's going to speed up the games that much. Because if you do combine, the commercial breaks being longer, and you could, you also factor in how much each pitch uh, and each at bat is important in postseason. I think there's those some things are never going to change. Well, my brother contacted his buddy with the Padres, and his buddy with the Padres said they are using the deadened ball. Are are you seeing a difference <laughs> at all in Arizona? Uh, no. <laughs> Of course, there's lighter air here. And, you know, uh, we were talking today about Dalton Jeffries and how he throws all of his pitches. And you're a pitcher. Can you imagine throwing all of your pitches without using a team? So, you know, no. you're using the, the horseshoe or the leather on the baseball and, and not digging into the seam to be able to get a better grip for a curveball or whatever pitch it might be. Uh, that's unheard of. But, you know, some of the balls that have been hit here, uh, I don't care what kind of baseball they're using. Uh, the ball is flying. And, and I agree with you that once – see, spring training, whether it's in Florida or Arizona, you have warmer climates, you, you have bigger fields, but the ball travels so well. And that's why, for example, in Arizona, you're looking at – I'm looking at, at the field right now in straightaway center field. It's 411 feet to the center field wall. But then you have the batter's eye probably 40 feet high. You have to hit it over that to be a home run. And by the way, Shohei Otani did that yesterday, I think, in Tempe, with over the batter's eye. But, you know, you make solid contact, and you have any power at all. Like Olsen hit an opposite field home run today. He was trying, I think, to go to the opposite field. It was a 2-2 pitch, and he hit it perfectly to left center. But the ball jumped off his bat. And now you get the Coliseum. And I think of Frank Thomas when he joined the club. I think of Matt Holliday when, when, when he joined the club from the Rockies. And both of those guys – coming from evidently parks where the ball traveled much better. Because I remember when Frank hit a ball with the bases loaded and he kind of Cadillac thinking he had had a grand slam, the ball stayed in the park. They got a double and the guys on the bench were laughing at him saying, hey, Frank, big hurt. You're at the Coliseum. Ball doesn't carry that well. And the same with Matt Holliday, who you know, played at Coors Field, Rockies. And, you know, he had a ball to right field. And, you know, he started Cadillac and thinking he hit enough the ball landed in front of the warning track and, and he changed everything for him. So it's cooler weather and, and any place you play starting the regular season in some of the parks, it's going to be cooler. The ball is not going to travel as much. And I know playing in Cleveland, I mean, County, <laughs> we were hoping that it didn't snow for opening day. That's why they always have an off day after the home opener in case it rains or in some cases snows. We were talking today, uh, about um, Bobby Witt, I think, pitched against Cal Eldred. Bobby Witt Jr. now is playing for the Royals, and Cal Eldred is their pitching coach. And I remember waking up in Milwaukee with Bill and Lon, 
And I looked out my window and it was snowing. And there was, I mean, there was probably be a foot of snow on the ground. I said, we're not going to play this game. They played and Terry Steinbach hit a grand slam and the A's ended up losing the game. Cal Elder had stayed in the game and gave up the slam, but stayed in long enough to win. So, you know, there's a case where, you know, you're playing in the cold weather after being in Arizona and it, it affects your body because you're accustomed to playing in, in no sleeves and getting loose quickly playing in beautiful sunshine and warm weather, then all of a sudden you get on that airplane to start the season. And unless you're in a controlled environment in a dome stadium, you're playing outdoors where it's going to be cold in early April, in this case where it's April 1st. That's why it's the Coliseum and, and Angel Stadium, San Diego, Los Angeles, even San Francisco. You're playing on the West Coast. These are warmer climates, and, and you're not talking about bad weather. And I think that's in some cases where those clubs can get off to good starts because they don't have to worry about rain outs or snow outs or cold weather. They're playing in good weather. And I think that is what makes them successful in most cases where they can get off to a good start. How, when was the last time we had a rain out? Well, it's been a long time. I know that because Clay Wood, I, you know, you have to, Clay has such a small grounds crew and I joke with him whenever we're on the road, and I'll look out, for example, Comerica Park, and I see you got 30 people holding a hose for one person watering the field. And I say, <laughs> hey, Clay, take a look at this picture, you know. And, but, you know, in, in Detroit, it rains a lot. Cleveland yeah. rains a lot. Chicago, Kansas City. But in Oakland, it doesn't rain that much. And, uh, you, you know, you're talking about that storm that happened here. How about the 72 World Series? I know you have uh, – is Dave Feldman on live with you? Uh, he'll be on at six. Okay, ask him about the 72 World Series, which that big cloud came over the Coliseum and dumped rain for the game against the A's or the Reds. They canceled the game. Every place in the Bay Area was sunshine except this big cloud right over the Coliseum, and it rained. They had to cancel the game. And the next thing you know, all this sun comes out. Or I remember uh, I was with Cleveland at the time, and I said, what's going on? Look at the sunshine, but not at the Coliseum. It dumped, and it poured like crazy, and they ended up canceling the World Series game. But but no, Tony, I think in general, um, I don't know if Clay Woods, they, they have a tarp down there. And, and you remember a few years ago, the A's had a game against the, uh, the Mariners. I know it was April the 4th because it was our anniversary. And uh, we go to the park. It's a beautiful day. And Clay had gone by the Doppler and said it wasn't going to rain. It dumped so much rain the night during, before that game on April the 4th that the game had to be canceled because of an unplayable field. The place was the, the infield was just all mud, and so ever since then he's always put the tarp on the field after the game because he doesn't want to trust anybody. Uh, you, you're, you're dealing with the wrong people when you're talking about rain because it, it could happen any time, and that particular time it did. But I got a chance to have a nice dinner with my wife on our anniversary, and uh, when I called her and I said I'm on my way, she said, "Wait a minute, the game's over already." I said, "Yeah, they canceled it." So that that's how rare it is in the Bay Area, but um, you know, by and large. When you schedule 81 games in the Coliseum, you're going to play 81 games because it's very rare that games are rained out. Um, and again, David, because he knows, Felly knows all that stuff, uh, he can tell you exactly how many and when and whatever. But uh, I just remember there have been a few, but not as many as I experienced playing back in Cleveland. Well, it looks like Cody says the last time we had a rainout was 2017. And then I think before that, it was like 13 years. Before we yeah, had the seven, out, if I remember correctly. As Cody, Cody is the seventeenth. Was that on a um, an April the fourth? It looks like the one that happened in twenty seventeen was uh, closer to the 
It was the middle of April. The one that happened in 2014 was April 4th. And then going back. Okay, so that was, the, that was against the Mariners. And you know what, Tony, was, was hard about that? When, when I, I went into the city, our daughters had uh, uh, planned to have a, a, hotel, a, a night in the city and then dinner. And we stayed at the same hotel where the Mariners were. And the, the problem I had is that my wife, I introduced her to Felix Hernandez, who had a diamond in each ear bigger than my wife's wedding ring. And I went, oh, my gosh, why are you doing that to me, Felix? You know, but you know, I guess that's what $175 million would do when, you're, when you sign a, a big contract, which he did. But, uh, but you know, it, it just, it, it's rare that it does happen. And, and I think when you can avoid double headers by not having rain out, I think that's really makes it nice from the player standpoint and the team standpoint. And if you only have to do it on the road, uh, you're talking about 81 games and you're playing Toronto indoors. You're playing in Tampa Bay indoors. Houston has an indoor stadium. And those three just stand out to me as uh, the three that you never have to have a, have to worry about a rain out in those three stadiums. Now Texas, Texas, Texas the, uh, the Rangers. Yeah. Houston Rangers now both have uh stadium. So yeah, it's making it uh, more conducive to playing the games on schedule, which makes the team much better when that happens. I will never forget being in Detroit with you guys. It was the fourth game of the four game set. And all of a sudden, whoever's running the field says, we, we got to stop playing. And there's like no rain. Yeah. Like you're like, what's going And like, it was like five minutes later, it started dumping and never stopped. And we had to cancel the game uh, and replay it, uh, replay the, the end of the game. But I'll never forget that, Foss. We're like, why are we not playing? It's not raining. And five minutes later, uh, the Doppler did not lie. But I'll tell you why, because I remember that distinctly. The head groundskeeper went over to the crew chief. And remember, the A's were ahead of that game playing the bottom of the fifth inning. And the crew chief was told by the head groundskeeper, once it starts to rain, it's going to start, it's going to rain hard. Well, all the players were standing on the field and saying, why are we not on the field? Why are they putting the tarp on the field? And all it took for the A's to get three outs and the game is over and they win the game. But because it did start, like you said, it never stopped. And that's why they had to cancel the game. But if they had played and not listened, well, you know, that's a smart head groundskeeper because she told the crew chief that it's going to rain knowing that the team was behind. And if they canceled the game, then they have a better chance maybe to make it up and do better. But no, I remember that. And, and I remember in New York, uh, there was a game also in Detroit when Joe Blanton was going to pitch against Verlander and uh, you know, the was going to rain and the Tigers did not want to waste Verlander starting the game and having to come out. If they had to delay, they delayed the game, never rained. And finally it rained, and Verlander was out after the third inning or something like that. And if they'd played the game from the beginning, they would have got six or seven innings in and wouldn't have had to worry about it and ended up having this big delay in the middle. And there was another time in New York when uh, the late George Steinbrenner was there. Uh, he said, you know, we can't start this game. It's going to rain. So we sat there and sat and sat and sat. Never did rain. It finally started the game. But, you know, that's if you're a home team, you can control that. But once the umpires get the lineup card, unless it's the second half or the last trip in for that team, they control what happens in the game. And I think in those instances, you know, but yet again, we're fortunate in Oakland, you know, as a fan, great fans, um, then you can come out and watch the game. And by the way, did you see the note that the commissioner came out with today about the attendance and the piped in sound? Vince read that on uh, right before the game. We're evidently said if, if the attendance, 
is less than 20, 25%, which that's what they're allowing, then the, the uh, stadiums can, can use piped-in sound like they did last year with the cutouts. And we were talking about the fans. Let's say 11,000 are allowed to come into the Coliseum. They're the loudest 11,000 fans you'll ever hear in baseball. And they don't need any piped-in sound for, for you know, 11,000 people at the Coliseum because they're very loud. And so let's hope that's not going to be the case where, you know, you have the real fans there cheering and very loud. And here comes this pipes and stuff. That's where I hope the drummers are really loud in right field and left field. And they are so loud that nobody can hear the pipes and stuff if indeed they do play it. They're not being forced to do it, are they? Yes, unfortunately. I think that's kind of what, what it said that's just mandatory or something like that. But, but I, I just, I mean, in most cases, and I think I just uh, heard today also that the Nationals are going to let so many people in. At one time, it was zero, and the Orioles were going to allow 50% in, the Nationals zero, and then the Nationals now can allow such a, a percentage in of the people to uh, to watch the games. But, uh, no, things are changed, and hopefully as the season progresses, then uh, things will change to the positive. We can have all the fans in. And we had Dave Cavill, the ace president, on, uh, I think it was – whatever Sunday, whenever we, we had a broadcast and he was on and, and I, I asked him about, I think he was instrumental in taking the tarps off the upper deck. And if you think about that and they're down, let's say to 25% because the tarps are off the upper deck that increased the capacity of the Coliseum. And that's why the 11,000 people can watch games there as opposed to if it was at 35,000 without the upper deck available, look at the difference in the number of people who could come to the park. So by Tim taking the tarps off, it really worked. And I said, did you think that was going to happen? He said, never in my dreams. And nobody thought whenever that was done, he just wanted to be able to allow fans to sit up there and, and watch games for not as much as perhaps the tickets in the plaza and the lower level. But, uh, you know, good good reason to, to do it. But uh, Tony, we're looking forward to a, a good team. There have been a few injuries that have occurred. But uh, by and large, I think uh, they're going to be ready to go and uh, – Puck had his first outing today, pitched well for two innings. Uh, it's sad that Mike Fires has a hip injury and kind of slowed him down a little bit. Mariano got hurt. Buddy Reed, who's been kind of outstanding for the A's during spring training, uh, injured a quad. But again, uh, except for Buddy Reed, and, you know, Fires eventually, when he's healthy, he'll, back, he'll be back pitching. Mariano will know be in center field. But uh, I, I think things are looking well. I heard you talking about Jed Lowry. Yeah, and I think you're spot on. You're spot on, Tony, because just watching him run the bases today, he scored from second twice. Um, and, and Mark Kotze, who's getting a lot of experience coaching third base for the first time, but watching Jed run, he ran great with, you know, he had knee surgery, and usually there's a little bit of a limp from a guy who has knee surgery, but he's running great, hit the home run yesterday, a couple of doubles today. And, you know, the, the one thing about Chris Davis being traded, the fact that what happened today, Mike Miner started the left-hander. He's a left-hander for the Royals, back with him, and he started the game. So Pender started at second. Jed Lowry was a designated hitter. And for a player who's not played the last couple of years, comes back to the ball club, he gets a chance as a switch hitter. He can DH, get off his feet for half a game. Pender could play second. And so I, I think maybe today with Cannon leading off and uh, Alexander sitting second, Jed Lowry was in there with, of course, the two mats. And, you know, it looked like a pretty good lineup. Sean Murphy gets his first start tomorrow. And uh, so things are starting to look up. But I think 
I think what you said about Jed Lowry is exactly true. Yes, LaStella was good, but Jed Lowry is 49 doubles that one season, switch hitter, playing an outstanding second base, uh, a veteran who can help a lot of players. I think he's a great addition to this club. Let's just hope he can stay healthy because if he does, he's got a chance he's going to have a great year. Let's be honest, Foss. His last two years in Oakland were two. If you, if you look at a two-year stretch of all-time Oakland A's, he had one of the best two-year yeah. stretch. I mean, he sets the record for doubles for the ball club. The next year, he's an all-star. He was a beast for two years for the A's. And Tony, that's why he got a great contract with the Mets. And, and unfortunately for the Mets and, and for Jed, probably more so for the Mets, he couldn't play. But I think the A's are going to benefit from that because he did have knee surgery and, you know, didn't play for two years. And he might say, well, he's lost a step or whatever. No, he's not. He's actually maybe gained it because if you can take time off, whether it's planned or unplanned, in this case unplanned, you know, I think you're going to benefit from that. And I think what we're seeing down here, he benefited from it. You know, Bob Melvin is so good. Uh, you know, he had him on the backfields or at least at Fitch Park playing in simulated games, which means they can get as many at-bats as they want against, as it turned out, the, the, the charters for the athletics. Because remember, until Bassett pitched uh, a couple of uh, well, a few days ago, that was his first outing, and he pitched great. And Lazardo, so I think it would have been the second for both uh, Bassett and Lazardo. But so Jed Lowry and Sean Murphy starting to get some at-bats. They, they were able to take those at-bats against major league pitchers and in the sim games and i think that's what has benefited them and that's just the greatness of bob melvin and his staff to be able to say okay we have these fields over at fitch let's utilize them with the players maybe start a little bit later and in the case of jed lowry it's worked for him and i think it especially worked well for the starting pitchers you know with with not having minor leaguers there for the most part do you think spring training might change forever the way that they do it instead of, you know, having all these split squad games and having all these minor leaguers inside? Because like a guy like Chris Bassett said, this has been a way better spring training, uh, getting off of our feet. We're like healthier. I mean, do you see spring training maybe changing? I think it could change. Uh, I think it may take a little while, but I think in the future it might. I mean, we're already seeing it with the minor league players and in the case of what Bob Melman said, uh, you know, it's the first time he's ever told a player that he's being optioned to AAA. And, oh, by the way, you're going to stay in your same locker at Fitch Park because you don't have any place to go. <laughs> so, so and, and those players are playing here. And, and really the only difference is they don't get the major league per diem and all that stuff. But uh, but the bottom line, they still get to play. And we saw it today with, with the players. And, again, something that Bob Melvin does well. Uh, you know, Chapman gets three at-bats. He's, he's out of the game. Olsen gets three at-bats. It's a home run. He's out of the game. But Bob Melvin does his best at making sure that players who are in camp get a chance to play. And yes, as we get closer to April 1st, which is happening very quickly, you're going to see the players playing nine innings, getting ready for opening day. But, uh, but I, th I think it is unique in a sense that spring training starting later, you have less teams now in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, I, I think it is going to change. And I think what the A's are doing with their starting pitchers, that may be something that happens around baseball, where instead of having the starter pitch, let's say in the first day of spring training exhibition games and pitches 20 to 30 pitches and he's out, maybe they'll start a little bit later. And in the case of Bassett, who had to go to the bullpen to complete his outing, our number of pitches, you know, you're looking at 56, 50 to 60 pitches for a starter 
in the middle of spring training as opposed to building up to that point with a number of starts. So I can see where that can change. And I'd say uh, based on the pace of game and based on all, all these other things happening, especially with the minor leagues, which I agree with you as well, that that is the future of Major League Baseball, those minor league players, and they need to play and play as much as possible to get their plate appearances, their pitching, their bats, whatever it might be, because they are the future. And a team that's going to be good and not have to spend a boatload of money to reload instead of rebuilding, that is the future of baseball where you can take a minor league player, bring him up. And I, I remember back in the 70s, Tony, when we would, let's say Dick Green retired, Phil Garner came up from the minor leagues. And that enabled the A's to continue with the bulk of the team still together. But you can bring in a few of the younger players in a mix of veterans and a winning ball club, a winning atmosphere, and they can be the future stars of your ball club. In the case of Phil, they end up going to Pittsburgh and start there. But, you know, the minor leagues are very important, and it's important for those minor league players to play well because everybody is always looking at them and always watching. And that five-year, I think it's a five- or six-year, that's the most you can spend a minor league, and you become a minor league free agent. That's really helpful them, uh, helpful for them as well. Yeah, I just feel so bad for them. I just, I mean, that these guys, you know, your dream is to be a major league baseball player, and you know, you got to work for the minor leagues to get there. And the fact that their dream has been taken away, and they still, yeah. I, I mean, they still are not for sure. Like they think there's a time when they're going to report, but yeah. I mean, a lot of different things can happen. And I mean, you're getting to a point to where you're going to start sniffing that these guys haven't really played in almost two years. Well, it makes it hard to town. If somebody gets hurt up here, what are you going to do? Who are you going to bring up? And that's why your depth is important. It's why some, you know, when they had the alternate site last year, at least those players were able to stay in shape and come up with necessary. But, you know, if you eliminate minor league baseball or start them later, um, you know, your AAA players or your future major leaguers, the ones that are closest to the big leagues, those are the ones you want to have the ability to continue to play because those are the guys you're going to depend on if somebody gets hurt. And, you know, you, you've got to have the minor leagues and you need to have them develop and you need to have them play in the minor leagues, get so many at-bats and so many innings pitched. So when they do get the big leagues, they can stay. Yeah, I just, I, I, we got to get these guys back on the field. And it's great yeah. that college baseball has started. And just to get, you know, yeah. and I've across the street from my house, Little League, Little League starting <laughs> to go. I mean, you know, get these kids need to get out and play, man. They got to get their lives back. Well, they do. And, 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 you know, in Arizona, it's great weather and they've been playing a lot here and you get the nice weather cities and states that does happen. But uh, no, I agree with you. They need to get out and play and, and the parents need to get out and, and coach them, which they're all volunteers anyway, but no, it's a combined effort to get them out playing all the way through the amateur ranks. Hopefully they can sign and play at the major league level, or at least start at the minor leagues and get the big leagues. Because again, that is the future of major league baseball. All right, Ray, great stuff, and it's uh, awesome to listen to you guys on A's Cast, and we'll talk to you next week. Tony, you're the best. Cody, best to you, my friend. And, uh, Tony, happy belated birthday. Enjoy the chicken pie shop on Walnut Creek, and glad you got indoor dining, my friend. You are the best, Ray. Be safe. You too, buddy. Take care. The great Raymond Fossey. That's two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner. And yes, the commercials for the pie shop say take out. Yes. Outdoor. Yes. But we're back inside. Yes. And we've been back inside now for a while with uh, in Santa Clara County. And I know Alameda County. So that's 
That is good news, Commander. Getting back to indoor dining is uh, it, it's a treat. As I, we went out to dinner on Saturday night to Morton's downtown San Jose, and we sat inside, and it was like, wow, forgot what this was like. That's not far from me, Morton's. Uh, yeah, and I saw I saw uh, Santa San Mateo County is going into the orange tier, so you can increase what restaurants and indoors up to fifty percent now. So. Santa Clara County might not be far behind. So as we get to, you know, we see more and more of the uh, vaccines ramping up. It's we're gonna a little bit, a little bit of normalcy back, which is a good sign. So I'm um, really looking forward to um, just having some normalcy back, and you know, baseball starting in a couple weeks. Can't wait, and it's gonna be fun times. This is we can actually look forward to the summer, and I can actually look forward to the wedding that's coming up, and not going, huh? Do I have to postpone it again? Are we gonna have to flex it like a? Uh, a, a bad Rams 49er Sunday night football game. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of bad football this year. There was a lot of bad football. Well, they're spending a lot of money in free agency. This has the Patriots. So that, that made me think of um, that the thing we were talking about the other day about you don't need to make the big splash. Yeah. The, no, the, I want to get into that next. But let me tell you this. It's very obvious it's not a good look when Tom Brady leaves you and he still wins the Super Bowl and you don't make the playoffs. You got to remember, this isn't, you know, this is big market Boston where they're very critical of their teams. Like, I can't believe the Red Sox are getting away with what they're doing right now. That still shocks me. The ticket prices that, that people are going to be paying to watch the team rebuild. You let your best, you let you you let one of the best players in your franchise history leave. You traded him. Yeah, so I tell you what, the Patriots. There's no question. The pressure is. Wait a minute. You you, you didn't resign the greatest quarterback of all time. He goes somewhere else, wins the Super Bowl, and you don't even make the playoffs. That's a bad look, boy. But coming up next, do you need that big name? Do you need that big free agent contract? We'll talk about it right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I was in your neck of the woods today, Cody. You come to you come to Whole Foods? I got the meatballs, the famous meatballs from Whole Foods. They're on the smoker as we speak. Did you ask when the bar is going to open again? Because I haven't had a chance to ask if they know when that bar is going to open again up, up above. Because remember, I'm not going to be living here much longer. The brewery, yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's, it's still closed. Yeah, it's I, unbelievable. I have a couple of theories on why it's closed. Because you can't regulate. How are you going to be able to regulate how many people are up there while it's open outside? Because, like, you know, bars, they have bouncers and stuff. Well, here it's a little different because it's a brewery above Whole Foods. So I can see how that's different. But um, I just well, got the to. Well, the, the, the problem has been that. You're only allowed to be open if you're serving food. So what a lot of places would do, like Hoppus Brewery, which is here in Willow Glen, down in San Jose, they would if you had a food truck. So if you went into Hoppus and you said, hey, give me two IPAs, they made you buy something from the food truck. That's how they stayed open. That's the problem with your brewery. They have no food, and there's no way for them to. So that's why they haven't been able to be open. But. You know, hopefully very, very soon because that's a big hangout before Sharks games and everything. Um, So last Monday, on my birthday, 
I'm driving home from playing golf with my brother. And I'm listening to, to MLB radio on Sirius XM. And they're talking about how, and they're covering at that time, the Mariners. They're, they've been doing the AOS. And they talked about how, yeah, they got to sign a big free agent because that, you know, that puts a stamp on the organization, like all this kind of stuff about. And I'm like, of course, it's a former player saying you have to sign somebody to a big contract because that's how they feel because they're about making a lot of money. I get it. But there's no evidence of that. There's no evidence that you sign a big-time free agent to a big-time contract, which I know A's fans are dying for, but it's dumb. What has Albert Pujols done in Anaheim? And they're giving him over $200 million. What did Seattle get out of Robbie Cano? Josh Hamilton. What did the Reds win when they ended up trading for Griffey and gave him that big contract? What did Texas win with A-Rod and that record contract? Cody's got all these names. C.J. Wilson, Carlos Delgado. By the way, the Red Sox gave Pablo Sandoval $95 million. How many years did he last before they shipped him out? What was it, like two, maybe two and a half, if that? Prince Fielder with the Tigers. Jacoby Ellsbury with the Yankees. How about, hey, you, you want the A's to spend some money? They spent $30 million on Billy Butler. What'd they get out of it? Think about Kevin Brown, the original $100 million man. Did nothing in L.A. There is no, and I mean no evidence, that you sign a big-time free agent, you're going to win. There's none. Yeah, how good have the Phillies been with Bryce Harper so far? I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. I mean, obviously bringing Verlander in from Detroit and paying him big butts worked out for Houston or Mookie Betts with the Dodgers. You know, what What have the Padres won with Manny Machado and his $300 million contract? They got to the playoffs finally, but, I mean, they haven't won anything. They won this offseason, but they haven't won anything. And who keeps going to the playoffs? The A's do. The Rays do. They keep going to the playoffs, and they don't do those contracts. Because they know they don't need them. I mean, I mean, take the San Francisco Giants. They, you know, Johnny Cueto win them anything? They're paying him big money? I mean, t- tell me where that big free agent, well, you, you, well, Mookie Betts. Okay, there you go. There's an outlier. Well, he was traded I can, there. I can show you, but he signed the big contract. Yeah. I can show you more failures of big contracts than successes. Mike Hampton going to Colorado from Houston because he liked the school district. <laughs> How did that work out? We can go through the history of big contracts, especially hundred plus million dollar contracts. Oh, Matt, Max Scherzer. Okay, there's there's another outlier. But if you just go free agency, because Verlander, as you said, was traded. If you just go and, and Mookie Betts was traded. If you just go pure free, free agency, I'll, I'll never forget when the Dodgers signed Daryl Strawberry. He's coming back home. They won nothing with him. 
trust the process. Build the best 25 you can, and you don't have to spend the most money to do it. I mean, look, the Yankees have stopped doing that. Brian Cashman finally won over, said, listen, we don't need to do what George Steinbrenner did. Let's build up our farm system. Yeah, we'll still pay for players, but we don't have to spend the most money. Now, a lot of people say, oh, these owners are rich. I don't care. Okay. It's still a business, how you run the business, the success of the business. And the A's been in the playoffs six out of eight years. And we haven't signed one big-time free agent. How is that possible? Because you're smart. Smart at picking players and putting a team together and putting a roster together. The Braves are a good example, too. Who are the Braves signed to a major deal? They brought Charlie Morton back at the end of his career. They brought Donaldson in for a one-year deal. Keiko signed a one-year deal. Marcelo Zuna's back, but it's only four years, $64 because he's in his 30s. Acuna has a team-friendly deal. Ozzie Albies has a team-friendly deal. Freddie Freeman has a team-friendly deal. They, they're building a great team in Atlanta, and they're not spending any money. They're not luring in free agents. Remember when the Red Sox signed Carl Crawford to that huge deal after Tampa Bay? Oh, How'd that oh, work out? Awful. How about Jason Worth awful. with the Nationals? How'd that work out? Oh, and that was one of the examples. Like, look, look, what, look what Washington did. They signed him. It gave them legit. No, that's not why they won. They won because of pitching. Jason Worth was not even close to, get this, worth the deal. Jason Worth was worth the deal. I get tired. I mean, I get tired of hearing about the money and we got a sign and went, went no. I, 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 is this team going to be better without Marcus Simeon? There, there's a chance. I mean, everybody was flipping out. I mean, Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks got a record deal for a closer. How many closers has Billy Bean had in his career? We went over it one day. Think how many closers Billy Bean has gone through and David Forrest all these years. You can find closers. Who's been the closer they've had the longest? Is it is it Doolittle? Or Andrew Bailey? Or Houston Street? Like it has to be one of those three guys, right? Because it wasn't Holly full. Fingers. Holly Fingers? Well, I meant under Billy. I mean, because it, it wasn't. Eckersley? It wasn't any. It wasn't Ecker or. Uh, I mean, you just. I, I would have to. I, you would just have to look. Because it wasn't. It wasn't Folk or or Koch or any of those no. guys. Liam. Um, remember. Uh, remember uh, Jim Johnson. Wasn't even a cl- Liam. Liam wasn't even a closer for a year. He doesn't have a full year of experience as a closer, right? Uh, he took over halfway yeah. through, and then last year there was only sixty games. Yeah, so not even so a full year. You just gave a guy a record contract who hasn't been officially a closer one year. Remember how everyone I mean, wanted that, everyone wanted Jim Johnson, and they were booing him off the mound in the first game. <laughs> oh, poor guy, <laughs> booing his wife. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was a. That was a rough start to uh, an athletics career. All right, if you had to put your money on it, I mean, it's it's. I don't know. Maybe I'd take Houston Street. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll, here, this is a different sport, but I saw this thrown out on Twitter from Hembo, which Hembo will join us on Monday, and I have something to send to you. He wants us to join his bracket pool for free, but he wants us to join it. He just texted it to me and told me to send it to you too. He put it out there. You know what teams in the NFL have spent the most money since 2016? There's two of them. And free agency. I, I, I would have no. That'd clue. be your Jacksonville Jaguars and 
my New York Jets. So we're joking, of course. They spent the most money in free agency. Those two teams have had the worst record in the NFL since 2016. So you can spend all the money you want for agency and trying to bring players in to, to win games. It it, do, it doesn't matter. The Steelers don't sign anyone. Who's the last big free agent the, the Pittsburgh Steelers brought in? The last big free agent the Packers brought in was Reggie White. So every sport's different, but baseball, I mean, you don't need to sign these guys. I mean, for the the I can't, the biggest free agent contract the Tampa Bay Rays have ever signed was Charlie Morton. Think about that for a second. Charlie Morton in his mid-30s was the biggest contract they ever gave out to a free agent. I mean, I'm telling you, it's it's the whole free agency thing can be highly overrated. I mean, just look south. Look at all the big deals over the years the Angels have given out to people. And when's the last time they won anything? You got to go back to what, 2002? When they won the World Series? It's the first time we had two wild card teams against each other in the uh, Angels and the Giants. Dusty Baker flips the, the ball to Russell Ortiz. The next thing you know, everything changed. I mean, I, I, okay, you want to buy a jersey, so you got, you have the guy's name on the back. All right. I'd rather win. I'd rather go to the postseason and, and, and have that shot. The more times you get in, the better chance you're going to get. That's why I like the way this ball club looks as good news today. I'm not worried about the injured guys. These are not season-like ending injuries. It's just This is nagging. You take the MRI. You check it out. But the fact that Rosenthal's back on the mound, A.J. Puck's back on the mound, this A's team's really deep. And hopefully Mike Fires can get back to being Mike Fires. And let's let's get this season going because I think everybody is. Remember, I said this Monday. I think everybody's going to crumble around us. I think the Astros are going to see fans for the first time. They're going to crumble. Angels, for God's sakes, Cody could pitch for the Angels. No offense, Cody. Um, None taken. It's okay. Rangers, Rangers stink. Mariners stink. Let's get it going. And they all know it, too. That's the thing. That's the funny thing. Like when Mark Gubazaz on or we have Jeff Blum or Steve Sparks, these are broadcasters for the Angels, Astros. They come on here and they know it. And they tell you, hey, Oakland's a team to beat. They know it. You're the team to beat without signing a big free agent. You don't need it. Build your team to win. Don't get hamstrung on bad contracts. I mean, look across the bay. You really want to be paying Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford and Buster Posey all that money right now? They can't wait to get those guys out of there. Buying or selling, Crawford, Belt, and Posey will not be retained. Buying. They're gone. They're gone. Or to, to quote Dwayne Kuyper, gone. There's a reason Brian Sabian is not around. And Bobby Evans. And they brought in Farhan. Why? Because they look around and 2014 was a long time ago. And they got a bunch of these bloated. You want Evan Longoria's contract right now? Who would you rather have? Evan Longoria 
which he's not that expensive when you really look at it. But who would you really have? Him or Matt Chapman? Making, you know, I don't know what Chapman makes. I forgot what he got. Yeah, he got a raise, but uh, it's still less than what, way less than what Longoria makes. So you take Chapman. He's younger. He's better defensively. He's a better hitter. It's, it's a no-brainer. Do you, do you know – got a question for you. Do you know what the biggest contract Farhan's given out so far with the Giants is? That he's actually given to somebody? Yeah, it happened this offseason. If you're going by years and money. No, who? It's Tommy Lestella. I'm pretty sure it's Tommy Lestella's three-year deal for what was around like $20 Because he gave Wilmer Flores a two-year deal last year. Every deal he signed was like a one-year deal or he traded for these guys. So yeah. Tommy Lestella is the biggest free agent that Farhan signed three years around $20 million. Okay. Hey, and, and remember, you're talking about the team that won the championship. Arguably still the best team in baseball, the L.A. Dodgers. Before Mookie Betts, they had signed really nobody. They had re-signed Kershaw. Uh, Canley Jansen got, got, got some bucks. Yeah. But they didn't go hog wild. It was just Pollock. It was a Pollock. But what did he get, like 60 million? Yeah, it was like four for 64 or something. I mean, it wasn't until they, they, they inked Mookie to, to $300-plus million. God bless him. It wasn't until they inked Mookie. That was the first big, big, big contract they'd given out. Their guys relatively, for the most part, looking around the diamond, they're, you know, for a big market team that has arguably, I don't know this, but they're, they got a top three TV contract, if not the best, from Time Warner. They weren't spending a ton of dough. Now they're going to have to. I mean, Bellinger's not going to be cheap. Seager, who? Seager's not going to be cheap. Walker Bueller's not going to be cheap. Seager has five home runs in six days. That was coming in today. I think it was five home runs in six games for the Dodgers in spring training. And how many times did you have him leaving? You had him on his way out of L.A. So might be on his way out of L.A. Who knows? Oh, dude, he's the (laughs) NLCS MVP. He's the World Series MVP. How are you going to let that guy walk? He, he's come through your system. Because you got the greatest prospect ever, according to them, and Gavin Lux is the guy that could take his spot. Gavin Lux can't hold his jock. You kidding me? Wow. What? I was going to say shots fired. Well, I mean, obviously there was an issue with his maturity. Yeah, he didn't believe like he, he was super prospect, and then they sent him back down. And uh, um, what's his name? Harrison Jr. came on. Who's a broadcaster for him now, World Series champion with the Yankees, and he talked about his immaturity, and that's why he went down. And you're right about the Yankees, by the way. Like the biggest contract the Yankees have given out, besides Lemayhew resigning, is the Garrett Cole contract, obviously. But he's also probably a top three pitcher in baseball, so of course that deal may that's where you have to do to sign him. But they didn't sign that John Carlos Stanton deal. That was a Marlins Marlins contract they signed. Aaron Judge is going to be coming up soon. So is Luke Voigt. You get the, but. The Yankees, they've been smart about how they spend money. Uh, and besides Garrett Cole, but Cole's been worth it so far for them. I mean, it's only been 60-game season for him, but he pitched well enough last year. But uh, to answer your question, looks like Houston Street is the answer. He's had four years of getting saves for the A's in a row, and then it was four in a row, and then I looked, and it was uh, Bailey had three. So those are the two probably the longest tenured. So I win? It, yeah, I mean, that's still. That, I mean, that was my bet. My bet was Houston Street. Yeah, I mean, it was – you're still looking at four guy, one guy to get four straight years of saves, or how many years in a row did Mo close out games for the Yankees? Like, again, you don't need a closer 
that's elite every single year for you. That's Tampa well, Bay. Hey, if you do have Mariano Rivera, if you do have Trevor Hoffman, if you do have Raleigh Fingers, if it, we're talking about Hall of Famers here, if you do have Dennis Eckersley, if you do have these type guys, yeah, totally important. But if you don't have one of those guys, yeah, it'd be great to have Dennis Eckersley, right? It'd be great to have Trevor Hoffman or Mariano Rivera. You know, you think of the all-time great closers. You know, Bruce Souter, Lee Smith. I mean, but you're talking about Hall of Famers. It's hard to find that guy. Look how many different teams. Lee Smith is a baseball Hall of Famer. How many different? I'm going to look it up. I'm going to let you guess. Lee, putting Lee Smith into the Google search. Not Lee Smith, the former tight end of the Raiders, who just signed with, I think, the Falcons. Really good dude. Yeah, I think, yeah, I saw he was on the move. Uh, so, Lee Smith was in Chicago. I was going to say six teams. St. Louis, New York Yankees, Baltimore, California Angels, Cincinnati Reds, and finished his career in Montreal. So, that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, eight Hall of Fame closer played for eight different teams and saved 478 games. So not as many what teams if, as Ricky. <laughs> what, what, what does that tell you? He was on the Cubs from the time he was 22 till he was 29. Then he moved on to Boston. But that's like, I mean, this is a Hall of Fame closer. He played for eight teams. The closer position is, you know. As John Gruden once said, it's tough to find a pass rusher. Uh, well, you had Khalil Mack. Um, it's the same thing in baseball. It's tough to find a closer. Blake Trinan <laughs> had the greatest year, arguably, of a closer. Am I statistically? Am I wrong? It's up there. It's top, probably top five. I mean, who else has finished with a 0.71 ERA? Uh, Zach Britton had a really good year a couple of years ago for the Orioles. That's the only one that comes to mind. So I'd say okay. top three at least. Top three. Blake Trinan had a top three year for a closer in the history of the game, and the next year can't get anybody out. I mean, it's hard to believe. And Blake hasn't been that guy, even though he got the World Series ring. He's a really nice guy, so I'm not taking shots at him. But he had that career year. He'll never match that again. Best one ever for Blake Trinan is when Blake Trinan picked up a baseball, walked over to us on the field where we do A's Cast Live, signed the baseball, and put, you know, all-star, the whole thing, and said, give this out to a fan. Not a lot of guys do that. That's that. That's the memory. If you go, what's your one memory of Blake Trinan? That will be it. Bringing over in baseball, signing it, give it away on your show. And we did. And the fan was really, really appreciated it. I, 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 you know what, Cody, the times that we had with Blake, I will always be a Blake Trinan fan. Yeah. We had him on last year when we played the Dodgers at the end of the year too. And he was gracious with his time. And he had a nice bounce back year with the Dodgers last year. And they resigned him to another year. He's back. I can't remember how many years the deal was, but he's back with the Dodgers again. And, 
I mentioned that Zach Britton year in 2016. Zach Britton was two and one with 47 saves and a 0.54 ERA that year. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, he didn't have the strikeouts like Blake did. I thought Blake had 100 strikeouts in like 80 innings. Uh, Blake, if you remember that year, Blake threw a lot of innings for a closer. Bob Melvin was bringing him in in the eighth inning all the time. Didn't he have like That's nine wins too? He what? Uh, yeah, he was nine and two with a .78 ERA, a hundred strikeouts and eighty in the third innings. He was nine and two as a closer. Nine and two, with all those saves and all those in. That's a lot of innings, man. Blake was a great, you know, that one year. He's one that if if, if Dave Feldman did greatest years, greatest one years in A's history, no question. Blake Trinan's in that top ten. I'm sure you could find you – know, Reggie's going to have a year. Ricky's going to have a year. Jose, obviously. Marcus McGuire, is – Marcus in 2019. Marcus in 2019, one of the great years. Um, Blake Trinan's year was incredible. Uh, you'll have Eckersley in there. You'll have – McGuire. Did you say McGuire already? Uh, Giambi to hot – wow, that's a tough top ten. Barry Zito, 2002 Cy Young winning season. Because you're going to have to have – Tahat and Giambi won MVPs. But that's not why Moneyball happens, because Scott Hatterberg became the first baseman. Forget, 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 for, 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 forget the big three. Forget Miguel Tejada, who's the MVP. Yeah, forget about that. Guy switched from catcher to first base. Changed everything. Hey, hey and we have the guy on in an hour that taught him how to throw and wash. So there's how you bring that full circle. Yeah, yeah. Coming up next. He's got the best handle in the business, the Pitching Ninja, right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. You know, it's pretty crazy how popular, Cody, Rob Friedman, the Pitching Ninja, has gotten. Um, He's blown up. Major League Baseball players are going to him for help. Uh, our own Jesus Lazardo and Jake Diekman have been in contact with him, and he helps pitchers of all ages, high school, college, minor leagues, big leagues. When big leaguers are going to you and asking for help, it says a lot. Here is my conversation with the guy who has the best handle in the game, the Pitching Ninja. It literally is the coolest handle maybe in all of sports. The Pitching Ninja. Rob, how are you? It's been a while. I am doing great. How are you? And, and, and like, I hope I can live up to that because uh, I'm kind of boring. I'm boring. My name's no, good. You're not. No, you're not. I'm telling you <laughs> right. And since we're able to do video, I'm looking at your hat. It's the, the ninja mask inside of baseball. I mean, not only are what you're doing and helping pitchers, but your merchandise is fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, man. Like this, I love this hat that I, right now it's the white camo I'm rocking. It's uh, it's pretty sweet. It's a sweet hat. Yeah, you go to the website and uh, whenever you put them up there, uh, for everybody out there, if you love hats, shirts, you name it, he's got it on his website. And, and you know, I got to think just the fun that you have helping pitchers of really of all ages. What has that been like for you? 
Dude, it is absolutely amazing. Like I did not start out. I mean, I started out like coaching kids and stuff. And then I have like MLB, you Darvish got a pitch from, from me and DMs like, and he shouted me out. Like, I don't know how, like it's, it's sick. It's fantastic. It's awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, you think of guys on our staff, Jesus Lazardo, Jake Diekman, these are guys that have come to you. Oh yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and I mean, Diekman's awesome. Like he, that slider that he added, um, so he just out of the blue asked for it and picked it up in no time. And it became like this unhittable pitch. Um, and he's, he is nasty, man. And Lazardo is the man. Like, I love that dude. He's great. So how did you start? I mean, I know you're working with kids, but it's now it's like, you're like a pitch. You're a pitching specialist for major league baseball. I'm a pitching ninja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, it just started you know, I, I was doing it mostly to help high school kids, help help kids coming up, and then started with then college, and then all of a sudden I start getting MLB guys re- reaching out because they like the stuff. Like I think, I think they don't want to go to their teams and and be told what to do sometimes, and they like to bounce ideas off people, and they like to discover things themselves. And I'm neutral. Like I will help anybody. I don't care. You know, I'm a fan of pitchers. I'm not a fan of any team. So I just like watching pitchers succeed. And when I get a shout out, I love it. Like it, it's, it's awesome. There's nothing better than a, a pitcher learning something from you and giving you a shout out. Why do you think they, they, they don't want to go to their pitching coaches? You know, I think it's a bunch of things. So a lot of times they'll be told, Oh no, no, we got this. You don't need that. We'll look at the analytics. This is what, but pitchers have to own their career. So what you see now is everybody's with a team for only a short period of time. And, you know, they may be with a different team during the season, during the same season. So they know that they need to, they need to expand their arsenal themselves. They can't rely necessarily only on their coaches. Um, Sometimes, you know, the coaches force them down one path. They want to go down another path. And sometimes teams use this stuff against them, like in arbitration and other stuff. So the teams hoard some of the analytics, the good stuff for themselves and pitchers just need to control their own career. Yeah. I think, I, I think that works for all professional athletes. It's like, you know, it, it's you who's going to last, you know, they're, they're going to treat you. And I hate to say it, they're going to treat you like me. And you get like you said, one day you're here, the next day you're in Texas or you're in Florida or you're, you don't know where you're going to go. So you've got to own it. I, I think that's a great point. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. Like you just you need to and the other thing is when you learn something, like if somebody's telling you something, you don't learn it as well as if you figure it out yourself. So if you're doing the research and you're trying to figure out all these little things, then you really learn it. If somebody's trying to tell you how to do something, a lot of times it's blah 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 and they're owning it. You need to own it because it 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 actually it's like more deeper learning when you do it. You know, back years ago in the early 90s when I was playing college baseball, when you developed a new pitch, it was really about your grip, and you'd play a lot of catch with it, and you'd figure it out. But now with all the video and everything that you guys are doing, what is the key to developing and finding that new pitch? Ooh, that is a, that is a really good question because it really depends on the pitcher. So some guys are very vis- visual learners. So they want to see like slow-mo, how the ball's coming off their hand with like edutronic cameras or something. And they like watching video of people explaining their grips and watching how that ball, the spin axis of it. Others learn through analytics. So they'll look at Rapsodo, Trackman, Hawkeye, and see what their pitches are doing and say, oh, I can manipulate it this way. And 
you know, whatever. And, and then others will look at hitters and, you know, see what, how hitters are reacting and say, you know, they're sitting on the, they know they can eliminate one pitch. They're sitting on, on my off speed. I need something else out of that same tunnel that goes an opposite way. So it's really a variety of different things. And, you know, it's a great question because it really depends on the pitcher. Yeah, because, you know, the tough thing about pitching versus hitting, I can go into a cage and take a million hacks. I only got so many throws off a mound. So that's the tough thing is people don't realize is that pitchers don't have the time that hitters have because of the injury factor. I totally agree. And that's what you'll see. So every time you interview a pitcher, a lot of times you do, you'll end up seeing them with a baseball in their hand. And, and sometimes it's like a, uh, I think Tyler Glasnow said it was like a fidget spinner. For, for pitchers, but also they're feeling the ball and feeling what feels good in their hands and coming up with different grips. Like they'll be sitting on the couch and going, I wonder if I threw this. And so mentally you have to have mental reps. You're right. Because if you, you can't throw everything. Um, so you have to think about it and visualize a lot of this stuff. And that's where it comes from. And you have to wonder as a pitcher, what ball are we playing with? Are we playing with the juice ball I got a couple here in my office. I mean, these things have no seams. I mean, it's, 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 and they're talking about the dead and ball. So I, I checked in, I guess they are using the dead and ball, at least in Arizona. I don't know about Florida, but I mean, as a pitcher, you don't know which ball you're playing with. Totally right. And, and a lot of times, so, you know, these aren't done. They're, they're, they're sewn in different ways. So you may pick up a ball. I've seen Garrett Cole do that. He'll feel a ball, feel the seams and go, yeah, I don't want this one and toss it. Um, you know, it just depends. Like, it's 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 either feel or sometimes it's how the ball is going to carry based on the seam. So absolutely. And I wonder what kind of confidence maybe some pitchers will get back this year. What do you think, knowing that they're throwing a dead ball versus past couple of years, they've been throwing basically just a juiced ball. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's big. So pitchers with confidence, you know, no matter what you throw, you have to have total conviction in it. So if it makes a pitcher feel better about what they're throwing and they know that it's not going to go as far, they're going to be more dangerous because they're going to be able to, you know, just go back and, and, and try to throw something by somebody. They're going to make it nasty. They're going to think more about their craft versus, hey, you know, what's going to happen? Be more tentative. I mean, if you if you have conviction in your pitch, that's when you're at your best. You know, we've talked to a couple of players this spring that say they got too wrapped up in the video. And one was Matt Olson, our first baseman, who's, who's outstanding, was like, I got in my own head. I mean, can, can, can it be too much for a player, too much data, too much when you start talking about Hawkeye, Trackman? I know in golf, guys talk about they get so addicted to Trackman. It's like some point, you got to go out there and perform. Dude, dude, 100%. You will see pitchers, like some guys can handle it. Some guys can can compartmentalize it and put it into a part of their brain and then they go out and they do stuff. Other guys, you'll see them be tentative or they'll just focus on executing and guiding the ball a certain way, or they're thinking about their mechanics or they're thinking about how the ball's releasing off their hands. And when you do that, you take out the athleticism and the competitiveness of the sport. I was trying to say like the other day, boxers don't sit there and, and do analytics based on their punching. You know, they're going to sit there and go, what's my opponent doing? How do I counter this? You're a pitcher versus a hitter. A lot of times it's like that. You're in a cage match against that hitter. You have to pick up stuff on what that hitter's trying to do against you and defeat him. And you can't do that if you're thinking a bunch of things, analytics. How does my video look? What are the stats look? You got to compete, man. 
Well, Mike Tyson always said, everybody's got a game plan until you get hit in the face. That's one of the greatest quotes of all time, and that's totally true. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yes, absolutely. That is totally right. I, I absolutely love that. Uh, what are the keys? Because I think one of the things that we've gone down this road that these clubs, and if you want to get drafted, it's all about velocity. But that doesn't mean you're going to get people out. What is the key for young pitchers to get better? Well, the key, the biggest way that pitchers can get better when they're young is, is work on their body. So work on being an athlete and work on getting strong. If you do that, you're going to maximize your, your potential at least. And it'll help you throw harder. Um, but also study the game. Like there is no excuse. And this is why I do this stuff. Everything I do is out there for free. You can go to my YouTube YouTube channel. You can go to my Twitter account. You go to Instagram, TikTok, whatever the heck it is. There is no excuse not to work on your craft for free. You don't have to pay somebody for lessons. Just look at it. And, and there are major league pitchers that are showing you their grip, showing you the mental game, showing you their mechanics. And they're trying to pay the game forward. And if you're a player and you're not doing this stuff, then it's on you. Like, you can't complain that you don't have money because this is a free. It's totally free. And how worried are you that these kids are throwing year around? They just don't take a break. Dude, it sucks. Like there's a lot of pressure. Both parents put like as college gets more and more expensive, parents put more and more pressure on some way to defray costs. So they're like, this is my meal ticket. Now you're going to play baseball and I'm not going to have to pay as much for college. Kids can get burnt out. There can be physically worn out. Um, it could lead to injury. If it's not fun for them, number one, they're not going to be good at it. So if you're making them do it, it's not good. But also they have to play other sports. Like like you learned something. I was talking to Tom House. I don't know if you know Tom, Tom House oh, yeah. is the – yeah, yeah. So he, he said the reason why like Tom Brady and Drew Brees were great when they were older is because they played other sports. So they when they get older, they can borrow from other sports, golf, baseball, whatever it is, they can take those movements and that mental process to bring it to their sport. Well, like when I was in high school, they encouraged us to play every sport. So I played football, then I go to basketball, and then I go to baseball. And the good thing about it, basketball, I because I played quarterback and I was a pitcher, basketball allowed me not to throw. It allowed my arm to heal. And I, I was and, and now that I see these kids and they're travel ball and they're taking them all around the country and they're throwing every every single weekend and they're throwing all the time. I mean, no wonder there's more Tommy John surgeries than ever before. Totally. So like it's anything else is going to get worn out. You're going to get tired and then throw while you're tired and it, and it's and it's not good. The other thing is athletically, it's not good. like playing other sports is awesome. Like you probably took things that you did on a basketball court and said, I did this, I did this move on a basketball court. I wonder if I can maybe throw harder if I, if I do something. Um, and you might not even consciously know you're doing it, but playing other sports, let your body be free. So this is an interesting thing. And this leads to exactly what you're saying. Um, I was talking to you Darvish and he said, I have two different mechanics. One is on flat ground. I throw totally differently than I throw on the mound. And it's for that exact reason. Really? That you're experimenting and feeling different things in your body that maybe you can bring on bring to the mound. Um, so playing different sports is the same thing. Well, that that's you know when we, when we had Tom House on, I'm like, I actually got a pitching lesson from him years ago. He's so and, good. 
Uh, he's the best. And I'm like, hey, I was that generation that bought your VHS tapes. <laughs> All that stuff that he had. There was that cardboard Nolan Ryan, you know, the workout of how to do the dumbbells and strengthen your shoulders. I had all that stuff. And Tom was really the first one that said, when you throw on flat ground, you're not hurting your arm. You're strengthening your arm. And really emphasize long toss, which to me is one of the most important things for a pitcher. Totally. It, 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 it helps you strengthen your arm. It helps you be more athletic. So the key, like I tell kids, play shortstop if you're going to play baseball too, because you look at, I mean, DeGrom was an infielder. Look at him. You have guys that if you're constantly pitching, plus kids think that it's all about mechanics. You hear mechanics and you think of a robot. It's not about being a robot. It's about being athletic. And that's what long toss does. It teaches you to be athletic and to challenge yourself to throw further and use your body better, your whole body versus just your arm. So there's a lot of good things. And Tom House, Tom House is one of the, the great people in baseball. Great dude, nice guy, as knowledgeable as anything, and humble as can be. So huge fan. You know, we've heard a lot about what's 2021 going to look like for pitchers. And a lot of people are afraid that pitchers aren't going to be able to give you 30 starts. They're not going to be able to give you over 200 innings. But then our pitching coach, Scott Emerson, who I think does a great job, goes, there's no data out there that says things should be different. If anything, these guys got kind of a rest. They didn't throw as many innings as before. We talked to Mike Fires about it. He thinks it's going to help him. What do you think 2021 is going to look like, especially for starters? I lean towards that mentality that that they're rested and ready to go. But you can be worried about, like, I mean, the good thing is we're having a full spring training. So, pitchers are able to, to ramp up. You do worry, like if, if they took last year off, didn't do a lot. Um, it's, you know, it's tough. You can't just go from zero to 60 because you're, you're bound to break something. So you've got to ramp up correctly. I think most coaches understand that most major league guys do. I think they probably gave their pitchers, you know, good off season workouts to make sure they're ramped up. Pitchers take control of that, but you're, it is something to be conscious of. And I think I'm more worried about that in youth sports, actually, like, like kids that, that couldn't play for a while. And then they ramp up all of a sudden. And, and you know, how kids are like, they're out on a field, they'll go hundred percent. And you, you just can't do that. Like you may feel good. And then all of a sudden, boom, something gets hurt because you're not ramped up. Yeah. We're here in, in California you know, look at football, these high school football kids, they're going to play maybe five games, maybe four games. Some have been canceled and they're saying, okay, now it's going to be three. You know, when you don't have that full getting ready and you're going to play a regular football season and now you're just going to play four games. Ugh. Yeah. Like, and I think it's worse. And like for me in baseball, that would be way worse. Like if you're cutting the season short, Number one, people are going to ride their pitchers more. Like you're going to say, ah, oh, it's only a few games. So you go out there and cut loose and pitchers will think that. So not a big fan of, of, of that for, for pitchers and especially inexperienced ones. I major league, I think has a good handle on it. I've seen guys, you know, most guys have their acts together with all the technology and coaching out there. I think they get it, but I'd be more worried. Like if it was, if it was 15 years ago, I think we, you know, that, that would have been a mess. You know, let, let, let's end on this, and I'm really worried. Uh, you know, minor league baseball, we haven't played it in 18 months. And now what they're talking about is when they're finally going to start spring training, these guys haven't played in 20 months. And I don't think – I mean, we can have tentative dates all we want. I don't think we know when this thing's going to start. 
But I feel so bad for these kids that they're trying to live their dream and their dreams been taken away from them. And they still don't know exactly how it's going to go. Dude, it's the worst. I mean, you, you said it exactly right. So you, you're thinking about you're a baseball player. You grew up playing baseball. You, you've, you've sacrificed taking less money, doing all this stuff to, for your love of the game. Now you're caught in limbo. And I think, I mean, they're tinkering with rules. They're doing a whole bunch of things that, that to, and, and doing away with, with, with locations where to me, the best thing about, about baseball, minor league baseball is awesome. College baseball is awesome because it costs next to nothing. You can take kids there and the kids don't know the difference. So you're taking them to, to cool, watch cool guys play baseball. You, if you do away with that in towns and you're doing away with, with that experience for the athletes um, and you're robbing people of careers, I mean, I think that's it's bad for the long-term success of the sport to me. Like grow the sport by, by having inexpensive baseball that people can see and make it fun like minor league baseball is yeah because right now i don't care what team you are you really don't know how this is going to work for your minor league system and this is your future and you really have no idea by the way you talk about the rule changes it'll be interesting to see how the electric strike zone changes pitching dude (laughs) like it's gonna be fans are gonna go crazy because they're gonna be pitches that are caught number one it's gonna change framing of pitches because it's irrelevant yeah um number two you're gonna see pitches that barely touch the zone like a jake deekman slider coming out and it's gonna touch the zone and it's gonna be caught like in you know timbuktu and and everybody's gonna be like that can't be a strike and hitters are gonna be that's never called a strike and it's a strike like I don't, it's going to change a lot. I think like, I think like if Randy Johnson had with that crazy slider, he had, I mean, can you him with an electric strike zone? If you'd be unhittable, it would be unhittable. Like the, the, that's what I'm talking about. Like, so the way Deakman comes at it, he's all the way on the other side of rubber and he's throwing across his body, doing all like same thing. Randy Johnson with that, like it would be, there's no way anybody can do anything. So yeah, it's, it's, that's crazy. I mean, just think of a wiffle ball when you used to put a, yeah, you know, back there and you hit it, right? It's the same thing. Well, you're fascinating, man. I, I, I got to tell you, it's it's great having you on the program. It's a lot of fun talking pitching and, and, and what you're doing and helping so many pitchers. And I really think also from the youth level, I think that's, that's really, that's very kind of you, everything that you're doing, trying to help these guys just get better. And as you said, it's free. It's out there. They can watch it. Totally, man. That's awesome. Hey, look out for that turkey sub that Lazardo's throwing, by the way. That uh, yeah, that's gonna be filthy, man. It's like a you know, upper sixties curveball thing that he's doing. I'm I'm excited to see that. Well, you know, with him, uh, you know, the thing is everything's hard. He needed something and, and his changeup's nasty, but you can see where hitters go, I'm not swinging at that. So no. to develop something else that's off speed, because so much of it is Coming at you, fastball, slider, everything's hard. You know, that's one thing that you try to tell people is that, you know, the time, hitting is timing. Pitching is about or is about changing that timing that the hitter has. Totally. And, and you'll also see he changes his own his mechanics and messes with timing. So you've got a guy that's messing with timing through his mechanics as well as throwing pitches that range like 30-plus miles an hour. That's going to be fun to watch, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to this season. And I'm telling you, people got to get your merchandise. Your, your, your hat <laughs> is awesome. Thanks, dude. I can't I, wait till I do an A's one. It's going to be sick. You can't, you can't keep that thing on the shelves. They, they I can't. Off the 
they do like, and I get yelled at or like, why don't you make more? I'm like, I can only make so many, like they're handmade. I can't do any more, but yeah, it's crazy. Are, 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 are you surprised how much you've blown up? Yeah. Like I didn't do this. I, I had no idea. This was never a plan of anything I wanted. I, I thought about doing, but I'll tell you, it is so much fun. And if, you know, if, if I can bring just a little bit more, fun to the game and grow the game and if people feel like having this merchandise or following an account or doing whatever makes them more invested in the game then i think i i paid it forward and helped the game grow because that's all i want to do is help the game grow that's what you guys are doing helping the game grow okay. we're all we're all in it together you're having fun doing this i'm having fun doing this it's not about being boring we've got to lift it up and, and let's let's have fun well, we're going to promote you. We always appreciate your time. Thank you so much, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm here anytime you need me. I mean, what a hell of a guy. I, I mean, he really is good people. And like he said, I mean, it's not hard to find him. He's a great follow on Twitter, at Pitching Ninja. Uh, he contributes for ESPN, uh, MLB. Go to his YouTube page. Uh, go go to on Twitter, like guys legit. And seriously, the hat he was wearing. So we were able to see him on, on video. The hat he was wearing, it's it's it was a, a a light camo with a baseball, and then the ninja mask inside the baseball. Cody, we we got to get some ninja gear. Uh, as soon as he releases an A's one, I think we need to definitely get it. I think we. I mean, just just reach out and say, hey. Bro, we're gonna promote you. Just send us some. We love the gear. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'll send him the interview after after the show's over and we post it. It's on the website and on AceCast, so he can, if he wants to share the link to it, so people can go go and listen hey, to the hey, interview. Hey, 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 I'll pay for it. Just get me some ninja gear. Oh, all right. Well, I'll, if that's the case, I'll tell him to send us uh, send us the link to the most expensive stuff he has, and we'll take two of each. <laughs> I need some ninja hats. Coming up next, this is going to be a great top 10 with A's historian, MLB official scorer, TV producer, you name it. He does everything in the business. He does college football. He does he does college basketball. He does, I mean, he does everything. He's David Feldman. He'll join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town. A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All righty, it's time for a little top 10 here on A's Cast Live. Feldy, how you doing? I'm doing well, Tony. How are you? Uh, always one of my favorite days in baseball, St. Patrick's Day, where everybody busts out the green. I've already texted Steve Vucinich, please save me the St. Patty's Day hat. It's always one of my favorites. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny that the history of this goes back to the 19th century, the Phillies back in the 1890s broke out green uniforms for uh, during spring training for St. Patrick's Day. So this is a, a very long tradition. And for me as a kid, I always remember the Cincinnati Reds yeah. on St. Patrick's Day wearing the green and saying, Johnny Bench in green, that just does not look right. <laughs> but it's cool, right? I mean, it's like everybody does it. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's one of the fun things that you see every year at spring training. It is fun, and it's you need that in spring training. We're getting into the just past the midway point here. There's a few weeks left, a couple weeks left. 
um, you need to break up the monotony because it just gets pretty dull about this point. So changing up the uniforms, that's a good way to help break it up. So when you look at the A's, and I don't want to overstate it, but man, if Jed Lowry's back to being Jed Lowry, what does that mean for the lineup? It means a lot. It really, you saw the difference that Tommy Lestella made last year when he joined the team as far as a guy taking good at bats, putting the ball in play. And Jed Lowry is very similar to that, that he takes good at bats, um, cuts down the strikeouts, and it has a trickle-down effect on the lineup. He's also a switch hitter, which is also a key. And if you can play defensively as well as you did when he was here in 2018, your, your infield defense is as solid as, as it's going to be. Because I'm, I'm a big fan of Elvis Anders. I think he can probably cover more ground than Marcus Simeon did. So between Chapman and Andrews on the left side and a healthy Lowry and Olsen on the right side, there's not a lot getting through that infield. So healthy Jed Lowry, it plays off, and it plays off into the depth of the team too because now you have a much stronger bench with Pinder and Kemp being bench players and being able to fill in as opposed to being starters. Yeah, and, and, you know, those last two years, I was thinking we were talking about you earlier, by the way. I don't know if you were listening, but we were talking about how if you did, like, great two-year runs in A's history, that 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 run that Jed had in 2017, 2018, where he was an all-star, that would add, I, I think you'd have to probably put him in your top ten. Yeah, especially considering the position he was playing. He was playing second base, and he was putting up offensive numbers at a position, especially in, in A's history, it's never been a great offensive position, right? But he made it that in those two years. One year with the homers, one year with the doubles, driving in runs, clutch hitting. Uh, and again, I, I can't stress this enough. When he was playing shortstop with the A's, especially that last season in 2014, he didn't have the range. His, his footwork wasn't great. And I know he had some injuries in the lower body too. But when he came back as a second baseman, his defense was solid. Like he made every play. He turned the double play. And that, that goes a long way. Just, you know, forget the offense. Having a guy that good defensively makes such a big difference with the pitching staff. Yeah, he didn't hurt you. And we, we weren't expecting him to be Roberto Alomar, for God's sakes. It's like, hey, if they hit it at you, make the play, but then go out and hit a bunch of extra base hits. And 2018, he's hitting dingers. He drives in 99 runs. I mean, 99 runs from a second baseman? Are you kidding? I mean, he's he he has been the only guy in the Bob Melvin era that every day Bob put him in the same spot lineup. I, I know we could say Marcus ended up doing that at leadoff, but really every day you knew Jed Lowry's hitting third. Yeah, and, it's, and that's another big key. And I think this, this A's lineup has a chance to be very – very consistent day in and day out with the people in it, right? Because Chapman's a guy who plays every day. Olsen plays every day. Andrus plays every day. Now, Lowry, you want him to play every day, but look, he's coming off two years where he didn't play at all. So if he makes this club and he is your second base, then you are going to have to find places to rest, right? Because he's not going to make it through a whole season, at least at the beginning. Now, if he proves that he's healthy and can play every day, sure. Um, but you think about the second half of the season, and if you do the, you know, the quality control and load management, and you get into the August and September, and everybody's still playing at peak value, I mean, the A's are in a great spot because they will have a consistent lineup every day. All right. I I'm interested on how how's this going to go. Athletics that weren't as good as their brother. I, I can think of two. 
Is there really <laughs> 10 different sets of brothers who played for the Oakland Athletics? So one qualifier, both brothers don't have to play for the A's. Although okay. you'll see when we get on the list that many of them did. Um, but there have been 419 sets of brothers to play Major League Baseball. 419. That's amazing. You know how hard it is to yeah. make the majors and then to have a brother who also makes the majors. And in some cases, in some families, two brothers, three brothers make the majors. The, the odds of that are so slim, and yet we see it happening. And to me, that is amazing. Now, the other point hey, is hey, – How about the Alou family? Whether exactly. it's the dad, son, they all made the big leagues. <laughs> the Alou's make it. The Boons make it. The Bells yeah. make it, right? Yeah. Um, but now you're, you're good enough to make the majors, and yet your brother is like a superstar, and you're not. I mean, that's just got to – I don't know how that handles mentally. I don't know if you have an older or younger brother. I did not grow up with a brother. But can you imagine having a brother who is – you're also a big leader but better than you? That's got to eat at you. Uh, yeah, I got an older brother who's four years older than I am. He's a golf pro in San Diego, and he just whooped me at Pebble Beach yesterday. I mean, <laughs> whooped me. Uh, he shot like – I shot 91. He shot like 70 – he shot like 75. I mean, he's birdieing these. I'm like, you got to be kidding. Uh, I, 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 one, one group, I, I doubt they're on it, but I thought about this. Mark McGuire, Dan McGuire. Dan McGuire was a quarterback at San Diego State, was a first-round pick by the Seattle Seahawks. Dan McGuire, not as good as Mark McGuire. No, no, and that leads us to one of our honorable mentions, and that's Trace Thompson, who played oh. two games with the A's. You're Trace Thompson. <laughs> You're good enough to be a major league baseball player. I mean, he had a cup of coffee with the A's, played with the Dodgers. He's homered in the big leagues. Yet your brother is one of the greatest shooters in the history of the NBA. <laughs> I mean, come on. And that was always cool. Like when he made that one catch and Clay was going nuts. Um, and the other thing that was cool is Clay just shows up to A's games in the stands with an A's hat and he's eating nachos. And you're like, man, Clay Thompson's at the A's game. Trace Thompson at the A's. That's so cool. I mean, I'll never get over that. It's just so much fun to see Clay there. But Trace, Trace is one of our honorable mentions. Clay for right. not quite as good as his brother. All right. Do you have anybody else honorable mention? So a few more guys who are kind of slimmer, similar to their brothers. Eric Patterson, who played for the A's, is similar to his brother, Corey Patterson. Uh, Scott Hairston is similar to Jerry Hairston. Uh, Rudy Lugo was similar to Julio Lugo. Andy LaRoche. Probably not as good as Adam LaRoche. Um, probably the guy who just missed it for me was Tim Morrell, who was an A's reliever in 99, was not as good as his brother Todd Morrell. Yeah. Uh, but Tim Morrell had a very good major league career. But the A's, it wasn't so good. And he'll always be remembered for a game in Fenway where he came in, bases loaded, 10-pitch at bat to Brian Dabak, who is a you know Massachusetts son of Massachusetts. And Dabak gets a game-winning walk-off double. 10 pitch at bat against Tim Morrell. And that was sort of his, uh, his A's legacy. All right. Number 10. All right. Number 10 is the reason this came up is um, thrown on Twitter one day and there's a pitcher and there's Craig Nettles, the great third baseman for the Yankees at the Coliseum. Pitcher's taking the Coliseum. Craig's in his Yankee uniform. And there's his brother, Jim Nettles in an A's uniform. I'm like, Jim Nettles. What? That's right. Jim Nettles played for the A's. He didn't play very much. He played one game for the A's in 1981. But Jim Nettles, uh, three years younger than Craig, and, you know, had a 
interesting major league career. He actually came up in 1970 with the Twins. Played a few years with the Twins. Goes back to the minors. Shows up again in 74 with the Tigers. Goes, spends four more years in the minors. Comes up with the Royals in 79. Back to the minors. And finally, he comes up to the A's in 1981. And his only played appearance with the A's is a sacrifice bunt on September 13th versus the Royals. That's it. That's his only played appearance. But the A's go to the playoffs in 81. And Jim Nettles, along with our friend Shooty Babbitt, they got to stay with the club in case of, you know, injury replacement sort of situation. So that's how this picture with Craig Nettles and Jim Nettles gets taken. It gets taken at the 81 ALCS, where Craig Nettles is the MVP of that series. All right. He goes six for 12, with two doubles, a homer, drives in nine runs in only three games. Uh, and Craig Nettles was a great third baseman in the 70s, uh, a little bit of the 80s, too, a six-time All-Star. And Jim Nettles is a guy who knocked around for a while and had his, his one game with the A's in 1981. Nettles and my uncle are best buddies. They grew up yeah. together. Yeah, they went to San Diego High, played baseball. They, they grew up like they, you know, both grew up near downtown San Diego and they grew up Little League and all the way they went to high school to graduate together. And still to this day, as they're in their 70s now, uh, they're, 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 you know, Nettles moved to his kids went somewhere in the southeast. So he moved down there. It's like Alabama or somewhere like that. But he and my uncle are still uh, my uh, best, best buddies. They grew up together. It's crazy. All right. Number nine. Number nine is Eric Ludwig, the older brother of Ryan Ludwig. And Eric Ludwig, seven years older than Ryan, and he was acquired from the Cardinals in the Mark McGuire trade in 1997, along with T.J. Matthews and Blake Stein. And Eric Ludwig was going to be this linchpin in the rotation going forward. Not so much. Made five starts for the A's in 97, an ERA over eight. Couldn't, he couldn't throw strikes. He was not good. And they're getting traded to the Marlins for Kurt Abbott. Uh, so terrible time. You know, that trade, the A's were trading from a position of weakness, and they didn't get much from McGuire, although T.J. Matthews did have a, a solid A's career. Uh, but now, in 1999, the, actually, the A's actually draft Ryan Ludwig. He's in the second round. The A's took Barry Zito in the first round. They take Ryan Ludwig in the second round. This is a power-hitting outfielder out of Nevada. Uh, the A's actually trade him to Texas in the Carlos Pena deal before uh, the 2002 season. And Ryan Ludwig goes on to have a very good major league career, played 12 years. He was an all-star in 2008 when he was with the Cardinals. That year he had 37 homers, 113 runs batted in, ended up with the Reds. He had three homers for the Reds in the 2012 NLDS versus the Giants. I mean, a solid major league outfielder uh, that the A's, you know, at the time, they needed to replace Giambi. We've seen the movie. Uh, they went with Carlos Pena, and they gave up Ryan Ludwig, and they gave up a pretty good ball player. Uh, they gave up the wrong Ludwig. They acquired or they acquired the, the wrong Ludwig, and they traded away the right Ludwig. This list is awesome. Number eight. Number eight is a, is a fellow who just passed away recently, and that's Billy Canigliero, uh, the, the younger brother of Tony Canigliero. Um, Billy just passed away at the age of 73 back in February, and you know, it's interesting going back and reading the story about Billy C. And that's what they call him. It was Tony C. and Billy C. And we all know the tragic story of Tony C. Uh, it was just star in the making in Fenway. Gets hit in the eye. He's actually out of baseball for a year. But he comes back. And him and Billy, Tony and Billy, are teammates with the Red Sox. And in 1970, 
Tony and Billy C combined for 54 home runs as teammates, which is still the record for teammate brothers, 54 home runs in a season. And, and how good was Billy and Tony? Well, Billy was playing left field. Tony was playing right field. And because of that, Kari Ostrimski had to move to first base. And the boomer, George Scott, had to play third base. And that's how good the Canigliero brothers were. Um, eventually, you know, Tony, he, he got injured. He couldn't play. Uh, Billy C. got disgruntled. He goes to the Brewers. The A's actually pick him up in 1973. Uh, he doesn't play well for the A's. He plays in 48 games and only hits 200. But you know what? He's on the postseason roster, and he was a starting center fielder in game three of the ALCS versus the Orioles. And he also had three at-bats in the World Series. And here's probably the coolest thing about Billy Canigliaro on the back of his uniform. And you can go watch the World Series highlights from 1973, and you'll see it. Not his last name, Canigliaro. It said Billy C. How that, awesome is that? Yeah, that is pretty cool. Number seven. Number seven is, well, he was the untouchable one, right? Jamal Weeks. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, four years younger than brother Ricky and ace first round draft pick in 2008. And, and you look back at his first month in the majors. Uh, he gets called up on June 7th uh, in 2011. Uh, two days later, Bob Guerin is fired and Bob Melvin takes over. And then a few weeks after that, the A's trade Mark Ellis because Rick uh, Jamal Weeks is the A's second baseman of the future. And he had a tremendous rookie season, right? Those last three months, hit over 300, stole 22 bases. And the A's are going to make Jamal Weeks the focal point of their marketing campaign for the 2012 season. He's on the pocket schedule. He's on the media guide. And what happens? He homers twice in the first eight games, and it screwed him up for the rest of the season, maybe the rest of his career. Because outside of one eight-game hot streak in May, he hits 220 the entire year. Eventually, uh, the A's kind of move him out of the everyday lineup. In 2013, he only plays eight games in the majors before he's traded to Baltimore for Jim Johnson. And by 2016, he's out of the majors. I mean, talk about a guy who has burst on the scene. He's going to be a star. He's the untouchable one. And four years later, he's out of baseball. So after that first little stint where he did so well we're at 95-7 the game at that time was the home of the A's and the A's come trouting him in they come bringing him in for during the offseason because he's the one guy that is untouchable and we did this long interview with him man how things changed and I'll never forget one of the VPs for the A's no longer with the ball club had to bring me something. I can't remember what it was, but he brought it to me in the Jamile Weeks spring backpack giveaway. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Jamile Weeks was supposed to be the star of the A's. It's, I mean, that's kind of sad. It is. And it, it also shows you how hard it is to not only make the major leagues, but stay in the major leagues and be a successful player. Uh, it, it takes so much. Uh, every day is a battle. And for whatever reason, Jamal Weeks, like I said, he hit those two home runs early, and I really think it did screw up his swing, and he, he was never able to get it back, and that was it. I mean, his career is basically done after one year. Number six. Number six was a very good pitcher in his own right, but his brother was a Hall of Famer, and that's Jim Perry. The younger, the older brother, 
of Gaylord Perry. He's three years older than Gaylord. Uh, and Jim Perry, I mean, he was a tremendous pitcher in his own right. He was a three-time All-Star. He won the Cy Young in 1970. He was third in the Cy Young in 69. Uh, now he's 39 years old, 1975. And the A's, who were in a, in a heated division race with the Royals, um, they knew they needed more starting pitching, especially after losing Catfish Hunter. So they acquire Jim Perry uh, from the Indians, along with Dick Bosman, for Blue Moon Odom. And this happened in May. Uh, Perry makes 11 starts with the A's, 3-4, and 4.66 ERA, one shot. I mean, he's okay, uh, but he's 39 years old, and it's starting to wear on him. And the A's end up releasing him in August, and they gave his uh, starting spot to a youngster, 38-year-old Sonny Siebert. It was an it was an odd mood, and it was never it was Charlie Finley just playing around with old guys, uh, and Jim Perry was gone. That was the last he pitched in baseball. Now here's his uh, younger brother Gaylord, who pitched to the age of 44, actually won a Cy Young at age 39 with the Padres, finishes with 314 wins, goes to the Hall of Fame. Jim Perry, a very short 11 starts with the A's in '75. I didn't even know there was a Jim Perry. Number five. Number five. Stephen Drew, eight years younger than J.D. Drew, five years younger than Tim Drew. So three Drew brothers who made it to the big leagues. Uh, and, you know, Stephen Drew, the first-round pick of the Diamondbacks in 2004, uh, 2008, playing for Bob Melvin with the Diamondbacks. He's 21 home runs. He's a legitimate, he's a legitimate all-star waiting to happen. Uh, but he suffers that gruesome ankle injury in 2011, sliding in at home plate. Uh, but in 2012, the A's acquire him to play short down the stretch. This just goes back to Jamal Weeks. They couldn't handle Jamal Weeks anymore. So you get Drew to play short. You move Pennington to second, and it works. Uh, you know, we all know how the A's finished 2012. And, and Stephen Drew played very well for the A's, even in the postseason. So that was it. He only played that half of the year. He would go on to play for the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Nationals. He was a starting shortstop for the World Series winning uh, 2013 Red Sox. Uh, but Stephen Drew, he was never quite, never quite J.D. Drew, who put up some big, big power numbers. And supposedly one of the biggest pains as a father, and you're also represented by Scott Boris, no day at the beach dealing with the Drew family. No, no. I mean, J.D. Drew right away saying, I'm not going to play. Just What a mess from the beginning. And it really puts a target on your back, right, for J.D. Drew. I don't think he ever got rid of that target. I don't think he ever got the do for how good a player he actually was because everyone remembered what he dealt with dealing with him with Scott Burroughs as an amateur. Number four. All right. Now we're getting to brothers who uh, both brothers played for the A's. Uh, this one is Marcos Armas, who was 16 years younger than his brother, Tony Armas. <laughs> 16 years. And believe me, more than one people thought Tony was Marcos's dad. Uh, Marcos, <laughs> no, he was just 16 years younger. Uh, the A's signed him out of Venezuela in 87. You know, he showed good power in, in 92 with Huntsville and 17 homers. And in 93, McGuire has the foot problems. He's out. And the A's are just trying to slew a first baseman. Dale Swain, Mike Aldretti, Kevin Seitzer, Troy Neal. And finally, they bring up Marcos Armas. So he gets a shot. He gets 15 games. He hits 194 with one home run. And the one home run came in a, in a crazy game against the Twins. It was a day game at the Coliseum. 
and it's raining. It's miserable out there. Uh, the A's are leading eight to five going to the eighth inning, and the Twins scored four runs off two future Hall of Famers in Goose Gossage and Dennis Eckersley. But the A's take the lead back. They go to the ninth, and it's Joe Baver takes the hill in the ninth to save it. Eck had pitched two days in a row now. It was raining. It was miserable out there. He struggled to get out of the eighth inning. They're bringing Joe Baver, Baver the saver, and he was terrible. He goes double, triple, walk, E5, single by Kirby Puckett, and the A's are now trailing. Uh, Marcos Armas leads off the bottom of the ninth with his only career homer, uh, but the A's still end up losing. Crazy, rainy, four-hour game, uh, and that was Marcos Armas' one moment with the A's. I I don't even remember. What year was that? This is 1993. Yeah, I'm in the I'm I'm in college. I'm in the Bay. I don't remember. I don't even remember him. I even, that's crazy. Marcos Armas, 16 years younger than Tony. <laughs> Number three. Now, speaking of another younger brother, uh, Chris Bando, 12 years younger than Captain Sal. And, you know, Chris was a legitimate backup catcher in the majors. He was a backup catcher with the Indians for eight seasons. Uh, I even had a season in 84 where he had 12 home runs. So he was a legitimate major league player. But he comes to the A's in 1989, and you're going to love this. This is the last game of the season in 89. It's the last career game for Chris Bando. It's also the last major league game of Billy Bean. All right? So this game goes into extra innings. Uh, They go to the 11th. Stan Javier leads off of the walk, and here comes Billy Bean. And Billy Bean's last major league plate appearance, sacrifice bunt. Wow. Let that soak in. I think we know why Billy Bean does not like the sacrifice bunt. It has nothing to do with sabermetrics. It has nothing to do about giving up. It's all about his last plate appearance. They made him bunt. They took the bat out of his hands. He's never gotten over it. Oh, you're blowing my mind. This is incredible. <laughs> so Billy Bean lays down the bunt successfully. And here comes Chris Bando, his final major league at bat, walk-off single to right field. The A's get their 99th win going into the postseason. Bando's the hero. People are going crazy for it. What a way to end your career, right? Playing for the team that your brother starred in, helping this team go to the World Series. I mean, they were going to playoffs anyway, but still – with the win, walk-off single, final major league at bat. I cannot believe Billy Bean's last at bat was a sack. I'm, I'm after the show. I'm texting him. Uh, your last at bat was a sack bunt. It explains so much, doesn't it? Wow. Yes, it does. They didn't say that in Moneyball. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> number two. All right. Now we're getting to the two that most people probably think yeah. of, and number two is. Uh, is Ozzy Canseco, the, the twin of Jose Canseco. And, you know, Ozzy was a second-round draft pick by the Yankees as a pitcher in 1983. Uh, the year prior to that, Jose was drafted in the 15th round by the A's. So Ozzy was a legitimate pitching prospect to go in the second round. But he never got higher than eight balls as a pitcher. It never panned out. The Yankees finally released him. He signed with the A's, making him come back as a hitter. And he shows promise, right? He hits 15 homers in 1988. Um, you know, he, he works his way, and he comes up to the A's in July of 1990. Um, strikes out for Jamie Quirk in his first major league at bat. And I think all the A's fans who were there for, for 
Ozzy's first major league hit, remember this. This is July 25th against the Angels. Um, in the bottom of the third inning, Jose Canseco comes up, singles to left, and gets thrown out at second base by Max Venable, trying to stretch a single into a double. Bottom of the fourth, Ozzy comes up, singles to left, thrown out at second base by Max Venable, trying to stretch to a double. Carbon copy. It was, I, it, you can't even explain it. I mean, these are two guys who definitely look alike. They're twin brothers. First major league hit, he gets thrown out at second, just like his brother did the inning before. It was unreal. I, you know, you thought twins, this guy's going to be a monster. He's built. He's, you know, on roids too. But, I mean, I mean, both these guys. I mean, what was Ozzy? He was like around 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, he looked like a linebacker. He did. I mean, he had the broad shoulders just like Jose. And you know, he played nine games with the A's in 90. He only went two for 19. Uh, he struck out 10 times. The A's released him. But I'm going to give Ozzy Canseco some credit, and I think people don't realize this about him. He goes to the Cardinals, and he works his way back up to the big league in 1992. It actually has a very good September for them. He hits 275 with five doubles. He's walking. Um, in 93, he makes his way to the majors again with the Cardinals for, for a few games. That's really impressive, right, to not give up. This was a guy who started his career as a pitcher, uh, comes back as an outfielder. Maybe he gets to come up to the A's as a favor to his brother at the time. But to his credit, he went back, signed with another organization, and still made it back to the big league. And and that's saying something. No doubt about it. And I think, you know, unfortunately, this guy <laughs> – and I don't know if he slides, if he's safe. I mean, you just don't know. And it's one of the great plays in the history of baseball by Derek Jeter. Uh, number one. Number one is Jeremy Giambi three years younger than Jason, and he is the typical younger brother. Um, you know, Jason got the personality, he got the talent, got the looks. Uh, Jeremy had to scrap and work for everything, for every bit of attention, for anything Jeremy had to scrap. And you know what? Jeremy was a pretty good offensive baseball player. Yeah. Uh, he, he could get on base, and that was why the A's targeted him and acquired him from the Royals. In February of 2000, not before 2002, the A's, not like in the movie, the A's got him in February 2000. And, you know, he played 104 games in 2000. He played 124 games in 2001. And in 2001, he had a 391 on base percentage, a 124 OPS plus. He hit 10 homers. I mean, he was a good offensive player. He was a guy who got on base and kept that lineup moving. And he started to show more and more power as he was getting older. And even in 2002, and he had a 390 on base percentage in the 42 games before he was traded to the Phillies for John Mabry. And again, showing home runs. And he actually finished that year with the Phillies. He had a 435 on base percentage with them. Um, but Jeremy, it just, he was the younger brother. And I don't think he could ever get through it. Um, you know, he ends up with the Red Sox, and his career didn't really go anywhere after that 2002 season. And he definitely had some interesting things about him. I got to know Jeremy pretty well. Um, and it definitely, he, he had to battle a lot of demons. Um, and as far as sliding or not sliding, I've watched that play legitimately, legitimately 500, 600 times. And I know for a fact, as much as I can know anything, that if he slid, he was going to be out because Posada was expecting him to slide. And if you watch Posada's tag, he goes down with his glove to meet him at the plate and then actually tags him moving his glove up on the back of his calf. Jeremy slides. He's, He's going to be out. 
you know, a lot of people don't know as Jason Giambi was a star at Long Beach State, Jeremy was phenomenal at Fullerton. I mean, yeah. he had a very good college career. Yeah, I mean, he was a really good offensive baseball player. He was not Jason Giambi. And I think living in that shadow was just, it's a lot to take. You know, he, like I said, the typical younger brother. And, you know, Jason got everything. And Jeremy had to fight for it. But in his own right, if he was just Jeremy Giambi or Jeremy Johnson, like you had no relation, and you just looked at his numbers, you said, this is a really good player that you want on your team. By the way, when I played against Jason Giambi in college, do you think he looked his body looked the same way uh, that it looked when he was with the A's? No, no not at all. <laughs> not at all. I mean, you go back, you watch Jason's first major league homer, which was a '95 against David Cohn, and he is this skinny, long hair. Uh, I mean, really thin, tiny waist guy hitting a home run. I mean, no, his body was totally different. Uh, do you think Phil Nevin, that we played against Nevin at Fullerton, do you think he looked the same when he was a Padre and he was an all-star that he did when he was in college? What did Phil Nevin look like in college? Uh, he wasn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> These guys, like I, rem- I remember showing him to the ballpark, right? I was working at KNBR at the time. And I remember walking into the A's clubhouse, and I'm looking at Giambi, I'm like, this dude's put on like 40 pounds. I mean, he was a skinny, he was a skinny, okay, first of all, in college, Giambi raked, he hit a, he hit like a 500 foot home run off of me, but he was skinny and he was a third baseman. And then it's not like you, if you work out, you're not going to gain 40 pounds a month. Like I walked into the clubhouse and I looked at Giambi and I went, this is not that far from him at Long Beach State. How did he get so big? How does his head bigger? His shoulders are better. I mean, it's like it's it's amazing what these guys did, and no one paid attention. Like Bonds, look at Bonds as a pirate and Bonds as a giant. It's like two different human beings. It is, and and and, and Jason, and I saw this with McGuire too. Um, even though they were doing what they were doing, they were spending the time in the gym and putting the work in, right? And that's how. Jason can get to be so big and McGuire get to be so big because it wasn't just shoot yourself up and go out and play baseball and you're going to be huge. No, you still have to put the work in, in the gym. And they did do that. Um, and you're talking about these, especially with Jason, because he was such a good hitter, such a good hitter. And then you give him this, this extra boost of recovery and power. And you saw what it was. You talk about two year stints with the A's, his 2000, 2001 might be the top of the list. Go look at pictures of Ken Caminetti at San Jose State. He was also on some type of Olympic team that played uh, at Candlestick Park. Go look at those pictures and then go look at them in like 96, 97. Yeah, yeah. And, that, you know, in, in contrast to that is you watched how Ken Griffey Jr. aged, right? He aged like a person normally ages. They get a little bigger, but it's more in the belly they get a little more punchier, right? And that's not what we saw with these other guys, especially when you talk about Barry Bonds. But Ken Griffey Jr. to me was a guy, yeah, that's a guy who's just aging naturally. Correct. Like, you don't get – like, all of a sudden we started seeing guys get better when they're 37, 38. You're like, whoa. 
your eyesight starts to go, your legs start to go. You know, players yesteryear were pretty much kind of when they got in their early 30s, they were starting to go. And now guys are having career years in their mid to late 30s. Come on, man. Really? Yeah. And what you're seeing now, right, 20 years later, 15 years later, is those players who are now 32, 33 in today's game, they're not getting those contracts because they are going to age naturally for as much as we know. And you're seeing their production just drop off the table because that's normally what happens when you hit 32, 33. This was fantastic, man. This was a lot of fun. Here's a guy like, <laughs> I didn't know Gaylord Perry had a brother. <laughs> that's a, uh, this was a lot of fun. Hey, be well, be safe, and we appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Feldy. These lists are great. A's history, man. It's great. Uh, I was looking up something because Billy Bean's last uh, at-bat was a sack bunt. Billy Bean's last career home run came in 1986 as a member of the Minnesota Twins. Can you guess who the starting second baseman was for the Twins that day? Ron Washington. Ron Washington. Why do you think Wash and Billy have always been tight? Because they played together. It's so crazy. Like I'm, I was just looking at that day in the lineup. Mark Davidson was center fielder, the, the father of Logan Davidson. No. Uh, really? Uh, yeah. And then you have. Billy uh, played with Logan Davidson's father? Yeah, of the Twins in 1986. And then in the White Sox, uh, Ken Williams, also known as <clears throat> Kenny Williams, was in right field. Jerry Harrison Sr. was at first base. Carlton Fisk was the DH. And Ozzie Gian was playing shortstop for the White Sox. Kenny Williams was on the White Sox. Yeah, yeah. Those are the White yeah. Kenny Williams on the White Sox, Ozzie Gian, Carlton Fisk at DH, and Jerry Hairston Sr. all on the White Sox. Kenny Williams, you know where he went to school? Did he go to Berkeley? No, he went to Stanford. Oh, he but played he played baseball. He played baseball and football at Stanford. But he's from Berkeley though, right? He's from somewhere in the Bay Area, yeah. He's from the East Bay. I don't know if it's Berkeley. Oh no, or it's, it actually says he went to Mount Pleasant High School in San Jose. Never mind. I was mistaken. He's a San Jose yeah, kid? He's a Stanford guy. I remember he used to travel with the team, and I remember doing an interview with him, and I think he was kind of shocked because, like, normally people interview him. It's all about just baseball. And I was talking about his football career, and I was talking about Stanford. It was, it was, it was really cool. I like Kenny. Kenny's a good guy. And he's had a job with the White Sox for a long, long time. You want to just go to Wash? Uh, sure. Not even yeah. All right, earlier today – because they had a night game. Ron Washington, you all love him. We all love him. One of the greatest guys in our sport. We're previewing right now the NL East. So why, if we're going to talk about the Atlanta Braves, who better to talk to than our friend Ron Washington? Wash, it's been a while. How have you been this offseason in spring training? Well, been fine. Staying healthy, staying safe. And I've also uh, received both of my uh, COVID shots. So, you know, being an old man, um, you know, you got to protect yourself. So I protected myself, got it done. Yeah, there is no doubt about it. And, and it's one of the things I've, I've really appreciated around Major League Baseball is how they want to keep all you guys safe. That, that is, that's the main priority. Well, they did a tremendous job last year in the – you know, the abbreviated season. I mean, they did a tremendous job of keeping us safe, and we got the chance to play a season, although it was, uh, you know, one-third of a season, but it was a season. And then we had a lot of fun, and now we're in spring training preparing for a whole 162. And um, 
I know we're going to have just as much fun. Well, and I think about your guys' ball club. The Atlanta Braves last year went 35 and 25. A lot of people are predicting you guys to win the East. Uh, just another year stronger, another year of going to the playoffs and getting that experience. Talk about what you think about the Braves are going to be in 2021. Well, I think we we grown. Our young kids got a little bit more experience. And, um, you know, they're already good kids. They come to the ballpark with one thing on their mind, trying to be the best they can for each and every one of their teammates. And I don't see that changing. The way we're going about our business in spring training is as professional as can possibly get. And uh, we just can't wait till the bell rings if we can get between them lines and do what we do. That's play, that's play baseball. You know, Freddie Freeman is a special player. And maybe he's not the biggest superstar, not promoted enough, but just talk about how special he is. Well, you know, you, you would uh, grade superstars according to how they make people around him better. And uh, he makes each and every one of our guys around him, around him better along with his performance. Uh, he's a quality individual. He's real nice in the clubhouse. Um, he shows up every day with one thing in mind, as I mentioned earlier, to be the best that he can be for his teammates. And that rubs off. And, um, you know, our little second baseman is the same way, shortstop, third base. You go around the field. Uh, they're young. They learn how to win. And, um, you know, I, we don't expect anything else but them to go out there and put their best foot forward. And um, hopefully uh, we can come away each night um, feeling good about uh, what we did and um, get some victories. Yeah, you guys got so much good quality young talent. As you mentioned, Danby's outside, Ozzy. I mean, I mean Acuna Jr. I mean, when you think about Acuna Jr., who who would you compare him to? Who you played against? Because this kid is very special. Well, you know, he reminded me of uh, Kirby Puckett. Um, he plays the outfield with aggression. He runs the bases with aggression. Uh, he don't miss too many fastballs when you put him in the wrong spot. He don't miss too many off-speed pitches when you don't break it the way you want to break it. And um, he plays hard every single day. And, um, you know, he's committed to his teammates. And, you know, that's the one thing about the Braves that, that I found over here that, I, that, that we had in Oakland uh, during our years when we were winning is each and every one of these guys that makes this team or play for this team they're committed to their teammate, and uh, it's hard to find that type of quality. But we have it, and that's why each and every year we go out there, the past the four years that I've been here anyway, uh, this is my fifth, that we go out there and we play good baseball, and um, we have an opportunity at the end, and that's what you play for. You know, Wash, you know, the bottom line is everybody wants to talk about, you know, metrics and data and all this, you know. I mean, obviously it's changed the game of baseball, but if you're going to win – at the highest level, the clubhouse has to be right. The players have to play for each other. The players got to want to win for each other. The players want to back each other. And that there, there's no metric for that. You just you, you can't create that. Just talk about how we've seen it in Oakland now for years. And with this group trying to go, for us, trying to go to the playoffs four straight years, there's something about the chemistry inside the clubhouse that matters the most. Well, that's key. Um, you mentioned it and uh, what you mentioned and all the things that you talked about just, just now was that's what it takes to win. And at the major league level, that's what you want to do. You want to win. And the minor leagues, you're developing. So, you know, but at the major league level, it's about winning. And the qualities that it takes to win is everything that you described. And um, the Oakland A's has it. Uh, and they have a tremendous leader in Bob Melvin. We have it. 
Um, you know, we have a tremendous leader in, in, in Brian Snicker, and our players hold each other accountable, just like the guys in Oakland hold each other accountable. And I'm more than certain on other teams that win, that same chemistry is working. And um, those that are, are not winning consistently, they don't have that type of chemistry. No, they don't. And that's why I, I think the Atlanta Braves, your ball club, uh, is a club to beat in, in the NL East. I mean, what you've seen around spring training, who do you think is your biggest competition in the East? Well, the biggest competition is always going to be the New York Mets, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, the Washington Nationals, and now the Miami Marlins. So every team in the, in the NL East has an opportunity to come out on top. And that's strong. And, you know, that doesn't scare us because the game is played between the lines and it's played every single day at a level that these guys are capable of playing. And if we continue to play the game at the level that's necessary to play it, uh, we're going to be there in the end. But, uh, like I said, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Washington Nationals, um, the Miami Marlins, uh, the New York Mets, they are all strong. So it's going to be a fight. We just got to wait till the end of the year to see who is the king. But as of right now, everything goes to Atlanta because we are the National League East champion. You know, two guys that, that played for you are now Oakland A's, Elvis Andrews and Mitch Moreland. We just had Mitch on the program uh, the other day. Talk about those two guys, what, what they meant to you while you were the manager of the Texas Rangers. Number one, they're quality individuals. And number two, they're winners. Um, the Oakland A's made a, two good choices right there. Uh, both of those guys bring winning pedigree. Uh, Mitch Moreland uh, was fortunate enough to be in Boston and go to World Series. Elvis Andrews, we had him at 18 years old in Texas, and all he knew was winning except for the past few years. So, you know, in Oakland, um, they don't talk about it, but they, they be about it. And now uh, they just added two quality persons uh, to that team to help them uh, uh, to establish and continue that winning attitude and hopefully uh, give them another opportunity to, to handle the West. You know, that, we interviewed Elvis right after the trade and really breaking down his career. You know, 42 playoff games he's been in. And you talk about being a winner and being a quality person. It's just what, what he's going to bring to this younger core. What, exa what exactly does he bring to this younger core of these Oakland Athletics? Well, one thing he does bring is he comes every day ready to go out there and play. And, um, you know, when you got any individual on your team that shows up every day ready to play, um, then it, it bodes for quality around the clubhouse. Um, you got Chapman at third base. We know he comes to play. You got Olsen at first base. He comes to play. You know, and then you can go completely around uh, the whole organization and you'll find out that they come to play. And that's the one quality that they always had in Oakland, even during my years there. Uh, those guys come to play. And as long as you come to play, you got an opportunity to accomplish the things that you set out to accomplish in spring training, be the last team standing at the end of the year. And I think they got an opportunity to do that. Not only does Elvis bring uh, a winning pedigree, um, this is a kid that can play. He can play. Um, Y'all had Marcus Simeon at shortstop who had to learn how to do it. And I think he became a quality shortstop. This guy is a natural shortstop and he's very smart out there on the field and he plays the game to win. And that's what everyone in Oakland does. And they, like I said, they're led by a pretty good leader in Bob Melvin. You know, what's shocking about Mitch Moreland, Ron, is how well he hits at the Coliseum. He has 22 career home runs against the A's. 15 of them came at the Coliseum. 
You know, there's just some guys that show up to a certain ballpark. It just fits their eye, and they just love hitting there. And that's Mitch Mullen. He definitely was known as the Oakland A killer, no doubt about it. <laughs> and um, once again, you know, you got Matt Olson at first base now. Bob got a chance to spell him if he wants to here and there because Mitch Mullen is a gold glove first baseman. And, you know, he gets big hits. So once again, um, we're talking about winners. Um, so uh, Dave Force did a good job of bringing in two character guys to go along with the character guys he has there. And I think you guys should enjoy a tremendous year again in Oakland. All right, let's end on this. You mentioned Marcus Simeon, and I, I know you guys are close. How do you think it's going to go for Marcus in Toronto playing second base? No, it's going to go well. Um, you know, it's, it's less work. Um, you know, maybe he have to learn to do a lot blindsided because the second base, you're going away from first and then have to come back to first. But uh, this kid is a tremendous student, and um, any little quirks that he need to have fixed over there around second base, uh, Rivera makes sure that that's done. But as far as Marcus go, don't worry about Marcus. He's a quality individual, and he will get it done without a doubt. Well, as long as you're with the Atlanta Braves, we're going to be fans of the Atlanta Braves, and we're going to be rooting for you guys because you know how much we appreciate you and uh, always what you've done for the Oakland A's and the Oakland A's family. Good luck there in Atlanta. I know we'll talk during the se- during the season. Be well, be safe, and uh, good luck in your game tonight. No doubt about it, and thank you for having me on. The great Ron Washington, truly one of – you talk about – I mean, there's been a lot, but what a coach he is. I mean, the way he he understands each player, how he works with the player, how much they respect him, and it's a lifelong bond, the guys that he's really worked with. I mean, Chavi's given him – you know, Eric Chavez has given him one of his gold gloves. You know, he and Marcus are tight. I mean, these guys that he works with, they become like family. What a great coach. I mean, truly, one of the great coaches I've ever been around in any sport, by the way. I've always liked Washington. I never got a chance to meet him in person, but I've talked to him a lot via text and over the phone over the years. And he's a really good guy, and I love him. And I love the guy that plays him in Moneyball and the whole Scott Hatterberg thing. Tell him, it's not that hard, Wash. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, Wash. It's incredibly hard. But yeah. uh, he, he you know, I, I'm glad we got his perspective on, on Mitch Moreland and Elvis Andrews because, you know, he managed those guys. Mitch Moreland's first year in the majors was 2010, the first year the Rangers went to the World Series. So I'm glad we were able to talk about that. And that we know how much he loves Marcus. Or I love how he says his name. He always goes, Marcus. So I'm glad, he, you know, he still keeps in contact with Marcus and everyone. So he's one of the truly great human beings out there. So, uh, you know, I want the Braves to do well because, well, one, the Pirates stink. So I don't care about that, that whole thing in the NL. So I want to see what the Braves can do. They got a really good young team, and they have a good leader in Freddie Freeman, and a good manager, and a good coaching staff around the, that team. So they can win the uh, the NL East again. This will be the fourth year in a row, I think. I don't know if it's going to be fourteen in a row, but you know they're starting to build something there in Atlanta. Are you ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Uh, by the way, I talked to Feldy during the uh, while we were playing Wash's interview. He loves the idea of doing the top 10 single season A's best performance. So like Blake trying in, Marcus Simeon in 2019. He goes, we haven't done that yet. I love it. So we got another one. Uh, I mean, you're going to have Jose. You're going to have Ricky. You're going to have Eck, McGuire. Zito. 
Zito. I this this might be Vida. Ida. This might be the toughest list to make of all the list we've done, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think if there's been any more. Like, you know, Marcus's 2020 was great. I mean, I mean, you can't. I mean, do you include Liam's year last year? Because I mean, that was technically a season, but I mean, it's not going to be up there with the rest of the people, like the rest of the guys. But it was just something. Wire I mean, I- set the record, rookie of the year. Yeah. What do you get? 49 home runs. And then there's another year. McGuire hit like 51 or 52, something like that, before he was traded off to St. Louis. So McGuire's had a couple years that he could be on there. Jose MVP year, Ricky MVP year. I mean, I mean, yeah, Jose's MVP year was the 40-40 year, right? Stu's winning 20 games four straight years. Yeah. And what Jose's MVP was the 40 40 year, right? So that definitely yeah, has to be on there. First ever 40 40. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Best one year for the A's top 10 will be a very, very tough list. I mean, think about these years that the innings that Raleigh was giving you. And you mentioned Vida. What about Catfish? Yeah, well, what about uh what about Scott Hatterberg? He's always in a one in 2002. Hey, if it's, I mean, Scott, ha- if it's not for Scott Hatterberg, where would this franchise be? Yeah. Great guy. Uh, and we're, we're, we'll, we'll honor the, it'll be the 19th anniversary this year of the uh, walk-off. So next year will be the 20th already. That's wow. crazy. I think this is a, this year is the 10th year anniversary of Moneyball coming out the movie. So maybe we'll have to do something around that coming up. Yeah, I think it's later in the season, but. I went and saw Moneyball by myself. It was an early show. My wife's like, you got to go see it. I, all right, and I went. I watched it by myself in a movie theater. It was, uh, it was, you know, because when you watch the, you watch the movie, it's like the actors who they're playing, you know, these people like personally, right? I've mean, known them for years, so it's a trip watching a movie about people you know. Can't hit the curveball. Ball explodes <laughs> off his back. I'm just saying, his girlfriend is a six at best. Look. So, well, there's well, what, some of them, but. Well, what does that mean? It means he's got no confidence. <laughs> Here's your favorite one real quick before we get back to this music. I like guys oh, like that. They got guys. a little hair on their ass. <laughs> 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 All right, so let's actually get to guys who. By the uh, way, those guys, those old scouts are the best part of the movie. Yeah, they're they're, they're, real, they're so funny. I like a guy who's got a little hair on his ass. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess since we're getting there, we could talk about guys that have a little, that had a little hair on their ass playing in spring training. We did this last year a little bit, talking about the greatest spring training players of all time when it comes to, you know, the single spring trainings. And well, ten years ago, we might have saw the greatest spring training player of all time, and he's a former Oakland A, Chicago Cub, and Baltimore Oriole. That's Jake Fox. Now, Fox hit two home runs for the A's in 2010. But in, the, in March of 2011, we saw history. In 27 games in spring training, he hit 297 with 10 homers and 7 doubles. That averages out to 60 home runs over 162-game season. He Yes, he was hitting bombs off Max Scherzer back then as well. Now, remember when we did the Green and Gold podcast last year on A Spring Training Legend? This guy is one of the best legends. Once the regular season hit, though, Fox didn't get much playing time. He appeared in 27 games. He hit two home runs and slashed a 246 average, 313 on base, and a 443 slugging. That's not very good. The 20-year-old played only 27 games in the majors for the Orioles in 2011 and was designated for assignment and then never played in the big leagues again. 
Now, some other notable home run hitters in spring training. Michael Morse hit 9 in 2013. Greg Bird hit 8 in 2017. The only player with more spring training home runs since you could track spring training stats on OB's website was Ryan Howard in 2006, where he hit 11, and he won the MVP that year. So buying or selling Jake Fox is the greatest spring training legend of all time. Uh, okay, I'll buy it, but... How about Greg Bird, man? That guy was supposed to be the starting first baseman for the New York Yankees and just could never stay healthy. Is he with Texas now or Colorado? I think he was with Colorado last year or Texas last year. He's bounced around a lot. So, I mean, you're right, though. He was supposed to be the guy for the Yankees, and he just never stayed healthy. You you, you know why that makes me sad is – you should have the opportunity to, to make it or not based off your talent. And the fact that you didn't make it because of injury, that just sucks. Yeah, it right? does. I mean, I mean, they you could have been, you know, I don't like them. You don't like them. But the reality is they are the Yankees. And you got a chance to be the first baseman for the New York Yankees. And you think of all the great first basemen they've had. And... You just don't get the opportunity because of injury. It's like Dustin Fowler, how we talked about. Like, this kid was – kid got called up and had a chance, you know, maybe he could be a starting outfielder for the New York Yankees, and now it's like his career was derailed in a half inning. Yeah. I mean, some of these guys, it's just – it sucks that injury is the reason why you don't make it. It's not – you know, you want the opportunity to make it or not based off playing, not because of rehab and being injured. That's just – I feel for guys like that. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, he didn't – let me see. I'm looking. He didn't play today. But Dustin Fowler is actually a contender for the starting – one of the starting outfield jobs with the Pirates right now because, remember, he got traded earlier this spring to Pittsburgh, so maybe he can bounce back. But, yeah, it's unfortunate for when things like that happen and, you know, to be a guy that could be the future of the Yankees and it just never pans out for you. It's unfortunate. But with the universal DH in baseball in 2021, it's left some players still looking for jobs. One of those players – is Milwaukee Brewers all-time leading home run hitter Ryan Braun. Now, Braun, 37, has 352 career home runs, but he said recently he's strongly considering retirement. Braun visited the Brewers' spring training site Monday and said he hasn't picked up a bat since the end of the 2020 season. Now, the 2011 NL MVP became a free agent when the Brewers declined to exercise his $15 million mutual option in in October of last year. Last season, Braun batted a career-low 233 with seven home runs and 27 RBI in 39 games while dealing with a back issue, but he played really well in September and had a 958 OPS for the Brewers, who went on to lose to the Dodgers in the uh, the first round of the playoffs, which would be the wild-card round. He has spent his entire career as a Brewer. Buying or selling, Ryan Braun will not play in 2021. Uh, I'm selling. He's too talented still. There's somebody. There'll be injuries. There'll be issues. Somebody will give him a job. I don't want him. I think he's a horrible person. Um, that being said, if he ends up with the A's, I'll have to own that. But, yeah, the way the way he treated people when he got popped, very A-Rod-like, where he just lied. And he tried to throw other people under the bus to save himself. I don't have a lot of respect for that. But, yeah, I do think at some point someone will give him a job. You mean the FedEx guy? Hey, H. Oh, yeah. What he did, <laughs> it was terrible. Um, but, 
you know, he's the type of guy, if there was a universal DH, I guarantee he'd have a job. Oh, absolutely. I think he'd still be able to. I mean, in the 60-game season, he still had a down year. He still had seven home runs. I mean, it's not like he wasn't able to hit home runs last year at age 36, but he's just getting up there. And no, you, no, the no universal DH really plagues someone like him where he can't really play in the field anymore. I mean, we're, we're seeing Chris Davis have to play left field. So, I mean, by the, by the way, I did read that he hit a home run in a uh, four-inning B game against the, the, the Cleveland baseball team earlier today. So, uh, hats off to Chris Davis if he has to play in the field. But uh, I think Braun will be with the team, too. I think someone will sign him later in the season once an injury happens or someone's struggling. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Brewers brought him back anyway. Because you never know, and it's Milwaukee, and he has history there. So, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, I, I, he's not with the Brewers, but I think that's where he probably ends up. But the longest recorded at bat in regular season history was a 21 pitch epic battle between Giants Brandon Belt and the Angels Jaime Barria on April 22nd, 2018, which ended in a flyout. Now, in the Mets' 7 5 victory Sunday, Wait, what? How many? 21 pitches. Now, that's the, the longest, that's the most pitches ever for an at bat. Yes. And the Mets says a pitcher, you're like on pitch number 15. Like, what are we going to do to this guy? <laughs> well, in the Mets 7 5 victory Sunday at their at Clover Park, in his first outing in an, an officially scored game since 2019, Jordan Hicks, the fireballer who's coming off Tommy John surgery and opting out last year, was put to test. Entering at the bottom of the fifth inning, Hicks's first pitch was at 99.8 miles an hour. And then his second pitch was at 89.2. As he faced one of the Mets hitters, it was uh, Luis Gil. I can I didn't look up how to say his name. Anyway, the pit the about the the sequence was twenty two pitches between the two guys, and it saw I believe the number was it saw Jordan Hicks throw six different pitches over hundred miles an hour coming off of Tommy John surgery just less than two years ago. Buying or selling, we will see a twenty two pitch at bat in twenty twenty one. I'm selling that. Odds are in my favor there, but that's amazing. 22 pitches. Yeah. You know how hard it is to hit a baseball? And you're up there for 22 pitches? And, it, and, and it, think, about, think, about, think about the pitcher. Because from the mental side of it, you know, like, how many pitches have I thrown this guy? You're now in some mental grind. That is a grind. I mean, I can just see how, like, manager comes right out and takes you out. Because that's this is spring training. Yeah. Uh, We're it, talking about here. That's insane. It ended in a walk, by the way. It was a walk. Oh, <laughs> that's a terrible walk to happen. All right, last one quickly, and I'll save some of the other ones for Friday. Now, I, I thought of some guys that never won an MVP award. There's Wade Boggs, Derek Jeter, Tony Gwynn, Mel Ott, Al Kaline. At basketball, there's Dwayne Wade, John Stockton, Elgin Baylor, Isaiah Thomas, Patrick Ewing, hockey, Ray Bork, Nicholas Lidstrom, Steve Yeiserman, and a, a few others. Football, Jerry Rice, Deion Sanders, Ronnie Lott, Randy Mawson, uh, the recently retired Drew Brees. Now, I saw Hembo post a question, and I wanted to ask it to you. Buying or selling Drew Brees is the greatest athlete to never win an MVP award. What? Are you serious? You think he's a better athlete than Jerry Rice? No, but it's it was a question I saw on, on, on Twitter, so I figured I'd ask you. Drew Brees, hey, by, by the way, Drew Brees, when he was young, could dunk, and he's not that tall. He's... A lot of respect for Drew Brees. Remember, he ripped up his shoulder with the Chargers, and the Saints took a flyer on him, and he ends up being one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But I'm not going to compare him to Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders 
led the National League in stolen bases. Deion Sanders is arguably the greatest cover corner of all time slash punt returner. And you're going to ask if Drew Brees is in his class? Get out of here. But he's a Hall of Famer. He should have an MVP award. Deion Sanders went to the combine and was not going to run and watched all these guys run and was laughing, jumped over the railing, and in a sweatsuit ran like a 4-3-40. It might even be lower than that. It's a legendary thing. He just, all right, now I'll run. And he ran in a sweatsuit. Deion Sanders, if you talk greatest athletes of all time, Bo Jackson's number one. I don't think anyone, I, Jim Thorpe, I'm not, no one compares to Bo. No one compares to the size, the speed, the fact that the guy was an all-star in baseball and an all-pro in football. Nobody compares to Bo Jackson. Dion's not far from that. As great as he was as a football player, the guy's no slouch on the baseball field. I mean, like I said, he led the National League in stolen bases. You know, being a part-time player, Dion was pretty good. Dion, I think you're going to pair Drew Brees to Dion Sanders. <laughs> well, well, I just remember Dion as Leon Sandcastle and all those uh, commercials. So, uh, But that's it for today. Looking forward to Friday's show, though, that we're finally going to, for the first time in almost two years, we're going to have Tom Verducci on again. We're going to talk to uh, Orioles catcher Ch- uh, Chance Sisko to preview the long upcoming season for the Baltimore Orioles and the AL East. We're going to have a few of the ace players on, and I'm hoping, I don't know how for sure this is going to be, but I'm, I'm efforting since he knows the guy with the Cubs. We play the Cubs, the A's play the Cubs on Friday. I'm going to try to get us David Rossi on with us. Don't hold your breath, but it's something that I have in the works. By the way, who led the National League, or who led all of baseball in triples in 1992? Well, it'd be easy to say Ricky, but I know the answer is Dion. Dion had 14 triples in only 97 games. Think about that. He hit 304. It's for the Atlanta Braves. He's 24 years old. He's a number one pick by the Atlanta Falcons. So he's out there trying to D up Jerry Rice and all the great players. Football's o- football's over. So how would that go again? Yeah, so no, okay, so he'd play baseball, but he would he would have to go to the Atlanta Falcons because that was his primary job. In 97 games, he hit 304, had an 841 OPS, eight dingers, 28 RBIs, 14 triples, six doubles. You're an OPS guy. His OPS plus was 130. Is that any good? It's 30 above league average. For a part-time player? That's pretty good. His OPS was 841. Like, like people don't realize how good Dion. Like, if Dion would have said, you know what, I'm going to play baseball, how good Dion could have been. But football was his love. It was his primary job. That's where he's making the most money. Just go look at Dion. I mean, he, he, he wasn't greatness. But once again, he was a guy that stole bases. I have a lot of respect for Deion Sanders. Can you imagine how hard it is? Like, we were talking to Dave Feldman earlier, how hard it is just to be a major leaguer or just to get into the NFL. And you got guys like Brian Jordan. You got you got Deion. You got, you got Bo Jackson who are playing at the highest level in two different sports. I mean, come on. 
I mean, that's crazy. Deion Sanders played in a playoff baseball game and an NFL game. Was it in the same day? Yeah, I think it was. Any like helicopter there or something or something happened. Yeah, I mean, Dion, I mean, you're, you're talking about averages of 276, 283, 288, 277. I mean, we got guys hitting 190 who were starting. I mean, Dion would, if Dion would have played, if Dion would have said, I'm playing baseball, Dion would have been a good player. He brought this element of speed that now, I mean, you guys, like, we've all talked like how, oh, Trout's fast. Shoei Otani's fast. Dion smokes these guys. Dion was the fastest guy on the NFL field. You ever watch his punt return. One of the greatest punt returns I've ever seen in my life. We're over, right? Yeah, we are. Can I tell my story? Uh, sure. Deion Sanders playing at Florida State against Clemson. Death Valley. And Deion trash-talked everybody. He had all the chains and... You know, he was, he was, he was Dion. He was Neon Dion. He was, he, he is who he is. And they're playing at Clemson, Death Valley. He's going back for the punt. And he's taunting the crowd. Like how many college players taunted the home crowd? And he's like doing his arms up in the air and he's pointing at the crowd and everything. They punt to him. Man, he scored. It was like in like two seconds. And the crowd just shut up. Deion Sanders was a baller. <laughs> I mean, go back and watch that highlight. It's like he's back there. He's getting the crowd fired up, and he takes that punt back to the house. Good night. Dion was the man. And that's why I like watching him on Sunday nights on NFL Network where it's you ball, you get the call. So they so they'll go around to different games where guys had great games and Dion will interview him. The respect he has of the current players is unreal. Cause they know he's Deion Sanders. All right, that's gonna do it for A's Cast Live. Cody, what do we got Friday? So we're gonna talk to Tom Verducci. We're gonna talk to Chance Cisco of the Orioles, a preview of their upcoming long season. We're probably gonna have a few of our players from the A's on and then I'm hoping that we can maybe get a yes or no on David Ross because we play the Cubs that day, so we'll see. But Rossi. So we'll have at least a few players and Tom Verducci that we have to wake up at 7 a.m. to talk to him, but he's worth it. He is worth it. Thank you for listening to A's Cast Live. Are we replaying the show or the game today? We're going to replay the show, then the game's going to be on after the show. Nice. So you got A's Cast Live, and you got the A's coming up against the Royals. That's all going to happen right here on A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.